Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. This is episode 181. We are recording this on Sunday, July 3rd, 2022, at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We were just commenting this is our earliest recording ever, but we're we're getting it in early because there's some celebrating to do tomorrow. Uh, not not the you know the Independence Day or anything like that. But it's Todd's birthday tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, happy early birthday, Todd. Thank you, thank you. I'm I'm gonna wake up early, watch the hot dog eating contest like a real American, and you know have a have a great day. There you go. There you go. That you do that every year. I'm going to yes. I'm going to do what I always do and uh go run a 5k while you're watching the hot dog eating contest. Wow. There you Burn. go. Burn. I know. How about, I know. How about you do, do a 5k while while doing a hot dog eating contest? See, so, you know, that, that there's an cool. idea. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Have anyone but, has anyone run a beer mile before? Like were you were you were you down a beer every quarter mile? Well, Todd's done something. I I did a tequila run where you had uh, margaritas before and after the race, but not like during the race. Okay, I think this needs to happen while recording a live episode too. Well, Todd, I, I do have to say uh, um, early happy birthday, and um, I I wanted to so I'll, I'm going to see you tomorrow, but I wanted to reveal a day early one of your birthday presents uh, because I think it's very podcast related. Uh, you will be getting more than just this, but I, I saw this and I had to get it for you. And and everyone out there needs to see this also. So, uh, Todd's going to take another another uh, step into the cager uh, with this new book I just found. It's called The Age of Cage: oh, Four nice, Decades nice. of Hollywood Through One Singular Career. I've heard of that book. That. <laughs> I, I've been meaning to to check that out, so that is awesome. Thank you, Terry. Yeah, I I, I saw it. I said, "This is this is Todd right here. This is Todd." The age of Cage, <laughs> like the age of Adeline, but the age of Cage. They really should have named it "Step into the Cager," but I. That phrase is trademarked, though. It, it, by it, our it, podcast. Yeah, we 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 need to get on that. <laughs> Did right. I mean, I don't even remember if I meant to say cager the one time. I think I just said cager and I think that just stuck. <laughs> it did. It did. You were just like, uh, the cager. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> and, and that became the name. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing wherever you find your podcasts, uh, so that we can be found and heard by more people. Zach, it's day drinking time. What do you got? I've got some red wine. Uh, I threw the bottle out because I got to make it through this podcast without this turning into the Godfather. But uh, we're pre-gaming it here on the Almost Sideways podcast, so this is th- this is fun. Uh, I do you guys know my Fourth of July tradition is besides getting drunk to uh, watch Goodfellas. I started doing that about five years ago. This year, of course, it takes on a more poignant meaning. I have not rewatched Goodfellas, at least in its entirety, since the passing of Ray Liotta. I look very forward to celebrating, um, not this country anymore, but celebrating a day where I can watch Goodfellas and drink. 
Very nice. Very and talk nice. about movies and drink the day before. Yes, yes. There we go. And dream about playing ping pong at my party that exactly. needs to come back sometime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to the ping pong tournament tomorrow. Todd, what do you got? Uh, I'm drinking a uh, Pinot Grigio. It's called Gallo Family. It's kind of cheap. It oh, kind of tastes like a uh, you know a communion wine. So I guess that's appropriate <laughs> that it's the morning. So tastes like a back of an LA city fucking bus. No, a ba- back of an LA school bus. Yes, <laughs> it's tight Very as nice. a nun's asshole. There you go. Well, uh, I. For for me, in honor of the of the Doc Talk podcast that Todd and I listen to, uh, that uh, they they sometimes do some recording on on Sunday mornings, and that's where we got the idea of doing a, a what are you drinking segment here. Uh, a few months ago, Doctor Rob on one Sunday morning was drinking something really dark, and he said, "Hey, if your beer is darker than your bacon, you can have it for breakfast." So I got. Yes. Um, this is out of Left Hand Brewing in uh, in Colorado. I got it at Ridgewalker. This is their milk stout. So uh, there we go. I had to go. I had to go dark today. So that's where that quote comes from. Shout out to Doctor Rob, friend of the podcast. Yep. Friend of the podcast. I I I, uh, I messaged him on Twitter one time because he was talking about how there's too many craft breweries in Oregon, and I said I know. When I go to the store, I can't figure out what to buy. And he go and he said easy. Go alphabetically and try every one of them. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we've got a little bit of a different podcast for you guys today as we uh, don't have a featured review because we're going to kind of feature the first half of the year since it's now July. We're over halfway through 2022 uh, and we're going to talk about the best and worst of the year so far. Uh, but first, let's talk about what we've been watching. And for that, we're going to start with the birthday boy, Dodd. Well, first, I, I've been watching like countless videos of uh, Lincoln Park and Chester Bennington. I wrote an article, the top five Chester Bennington. Oh, yes, you uh, did. Uh, vocal performances. Check it well out. It's on our too. blog. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. First, uh, yeah, I watched that. And then I watched this other, this 2001 movie directed by Daniel Minahan. It's called Series 7, The Contenders. Daniel Minahan is, it's, it's his only movie he ever directed, but he directs a lot of TV, like uh, Deadwood and Six Feet Under. But it's it's about a reality TV show that puts random people against each other, ha- having to kill each other off until only one is left. The surviving champion goes on to the next series unless they win three in a row, then they're set free. And it's shot like an absolute seriousness, parodying this type of reality TV. And it, it definitely looks like what became reality TV in the subsequent years. Uh, it, it's sort of meant for like when you're watching the movie, you are the audience of the TV show. It isn't quite as forethinking as the, the Truman Show or something like that, but it's it's like a really scathing, uncomfortably bizarre movie. Um, obviously, it has a lot of Battle Royale in there, more, more specifically Battle Royale 2 Requiem, it, but it does things a little differently. The contenders, the the actors are uh, Brooke Smith plays Dawn, who's the two-time reigning champion who's pregnant. Jeffrey is her ex-hus- ex-husband. Uh, he's dying of cancer. It's Glenn Fitzgerald. Connie is played by Mary Louise Burke, who's Miles' mother, Phyllis, uh, but she's a nurse. Uh, Franklin is an old man, and uh, Lindsay is played by Merritt Weaver, who you could tell is like really uh, going to become something. Uh, that she plays a student; she's really young in this. Brooke Smith is insane. Phyllis has is like really badass and, uh, and naive. It's a perfect like almost villain role. And uh, things like The Hunt that a couple of years ago like certainly have a similar sort of reaction to this phenomenon and the same message. 
Uh, this was right in the heart, height of like survivor craze. But uh, it's shot in like mockumentary style, almost like The Office or Arrested Development. The announcer is played by Will Arnett, and who's definitely the MVP. Like, is when he showed up, I was just like, "Oh man!" This... Now, now it just became something. I bet this would be a huge Netflix hit if it came out nowadays. But I, I you can't really stream it anywhere. It's a weird movie for sure. It's not entirely funny, but it's kind of realistic, and like, you might laugh nervously because of how, like, how how much it makes sense. Uh, and it moves really quick. Yeah, it's a pretty sick, and I kind of dug it despite my reservations. It's a three star movie. If you can find it somewhere, check it out because uh, it, it is—it's definitely something. Nice, nice. How did you find it? Uh, I got uh, the disc from Netflix. Mm. Thank you are single-handedly keeping uh, Netflix alive in that. Yeah, I, I heard uh, an interview with Ted Sarandos where he said there's a couple million people that still get the discs. So I'm one of. I can't believe it's still a service that's offered. Well, he said, he, he's like, the reason why people do it is because either they don't have good bandwidth where they live, or, I mean, every movie ever released on DVD is available in the library, so. Or they're It is the only way you can find things like this, or, or pay $5 or something to rent it. Awesome. Cool. I've heard All of right. that movie. I've, I remember that movie when it came out, mostly Ebert's review of it, and I've always wanted to see it. Definitely during that craze, coming right on the heels of Truman Show, Ed TV, um... But yeah, Brooke Smith, she was great in Grey's Anatomy. Dr. Erica Hahn. Sounds a little lambs. Yes. And my and uh, Vanya on 42nd Street. All okay. right. This is going nowhere quickly. Save us, it, Terry. It is. it is. All right. Let's Brooke get Smith started uh, with uh, I'm going to go next. And uh, I'm going back 20 years uh, to a, a lone Best Original Song nominee. And I actually looked it up. I'm glad I looked it up because if I hadn't looked it up, I was going to say, "I was no." That was oh. that was the year before. Oh, uh, that was that's 2001. Right. Okay, but yeah, um, I, it's a good thing I looked it up because I was going to say it was a lone animated feature nominee. But I see. No, it's an animated feature that was not nominated for animated feature, but it was nominated for original song. It is not Ice Age. It is the Wild Thornberries movie. Oh, oh nice. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where as I go through this exercise, I'm like, what? What? I, all right, I guess I'm watching this. So, uh, like the I Jimmy threw, Neutron movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Based on TV. Um, so I threw this on while the kids were uh, while the kids were in the room, and they they really enjoyed it. But yeah, this is a spinoff of the Nickelodeon show, The Wild Thornberries. You've got Eliza Thornberry, who has this unique gift of being able to talk to animals. Uh, but the catch is she cannot tell anyone she can talk to animals or else she loses the gift. Uh, and uh, her her dad is like some wild safari tour guide uh, voiced by Tim Curry, which is kind of funny. Uh, you have um, and, and oh, and Eliza Thornberry is uh, voiced by Lacey Chabert, uh, I think is how you say her name. It was she was kind of a big thing at the time. Uh, and you've got um, in her family, her is all there. She's got a, a mom and a sister who is like as prissy as possible, but lives in the African safari. Um, some like jungle book type kid that they found on the in in the safari somewhere. And they're raising him who's actually voiced by Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is kind of funny. Um, and uh, yeah, so the story of this one is uh, she. She's friends with uh, these cheetah cubs, and one of them gets poached, and uh, she's trying to save the cheetah cub. Um, 
and uh does and that's the movie and uh yeah so wild thornberries i'm get i'm giving it two stars i mean it it is what it is and it's it does what it does and it the kids enjoyed it i tolerated it two stars that's what i got i'd never watched an episode of the wild thornberries before so i i think fans of the show definitely liked it more but. Yeah, even the, that show was even a couple of years past my time. I think I watched a few episodes, but that's about it. Isn't it a little bit of a slap in the face if an animated movie gets a nomination other than Best Animated Film? Is that always so. like a little bit of a red flag right there? I I think so. Like well, Rio and, too. Yeah, and it it was it was a year that there wasn't a Pixar movie out. I mean, it was a weird year for animated film because that the Isn't that the, the five nominated. Year? No, it, it was Spirited Away, away Ice Spirited Age, away. Lilo and Stitch, Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, and Treasure Planet. I mean, it, you don't see lineups like that for animated film anymore. So, anyways. And then Wild Thornberry's nominated for Song. But yeah, anyway, that, that's, that's, my, that's, my, that's my watch. Zach, what'd you watch? Alright, well, I've been in Dallas all week, so I haven't had a lot of time to watch anything new, but... As many of our listeners know, uh, two days ago was the start of the Criterion half-off sale at Barnes & Noble, oh, and I wanted to yes. go over my, my merch that I got, starting with uh, a movie that is not in my top 100, as Todd pointed out, which belongs <laughs> in my top 100. Citizen Kane, released on 4K UHD Blu-ray. Now, I got to say, this is probably the coolest Blu-ray that's ever been made, just for the way that you open it, because it goes... K, A, N, E, and it's like this kind of thing. It actually would be a great lesson for your children, Terry, in how to spell <laughs> and about great cinema. And uh, it has th- uh, four discs, which is pretty amazing. And it's like uh, all that's missing is, you know, um, the actual movie Mank. But uh, I'm, I'm glad, not that I'm saying that that should have been on there. Uh, I love it. It's it carried over a lot of. This is now my third copy of Citizen Kane that I own. I carried over the Ebert commentary from the DVD. There's a really great uh, feature by a film scholar named Raquel J. Gates who talks about how there's no black people in it, but the way that she gets students to watch it is by saying that the relationship between Kane and Susan Alexander is like Kim and Kanye, which I thought is actually really true. That's actually a great statement. Okay, a couple other things that I got. Round Midnight, Bertrand Tavernier, the greatest jazz movie ever made. Great feature in here uh, with the critic who dissed on the film, later became friends with Tavernier. Tavernier was the Scorsese of France, and Scorsese actually has a small role in this movie. Smooth Talk with uh, Laura Dern, Joyce Chopra, uh, sad story because she was one of the you know, few women directors in the studio system in the 80s, but uh, she was basically cast out in spite of this being a great, great movie, great early or Laura Dern role. Mir, Tarkovsky, you can't find this movie anywhere. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to I like Tarkovsky more and more. I've actually never seen this movie, but I really love Andrei Rublev. Uh, Barry Lyndon, I don't know how I didn't own this movie. I mean, it's probably the most beautiful movie ever made. There's a great sequence in here about the cameras they used for it, how the cameras they actually got from NASA, and they had to rig them on using... It was kind of, it's kind of like the Apollo 13 scene where they have to you know, put in uh, uh, square pegs into a round hole. And then uh, Phoenix... Uh, one of my favorite movies from earlier this decade. But 
the best is for last, and that is obviously the Uncut Gems 4K UHD Edition. And I think maybe my favorite thing about it is it actually has a KMH uh, like uh, you know sales log catalog in it, where you can look up. I mean, it has some extra features, but even has like an inventory log. And then my favorite thing is it's got a picture of the Ratner family wishing you a happy Passover. Look at how happy they are. Um, <laughs> great sequences, great extras on this. I mean, there's a whole se a sequence about Adam Sandler's wardrobe. Apparently, he didn't like wearing skinny jeans. Uh, great commentary by the Safties. Um, uh, great extra scenes. The scene at the beginning when everybody is accosting uh, Howard, there's an additional scene that they didn't include where uh, uh, his wife, Dina, is in the back talking about a goal, a, a diamond belt that he got her that she thinks is full of shit. Very interesting extra scene. So anyway, hats off to Criterion. Magnificent job. I still have, I had $200 of gift cards, so I still have $50. Oh, that I wow. Uh, but uh, this is this is this is my Christmas time is July. It's it's a wonderful time of year. Uh, and I know, Todd, you will be purchasing or have purchased the worst person in the world, which they just released. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I have the disc already. Nice. Have you been able to check it out yet? Does that include that should include an insert of the guy's comic book, the controversial comic book? <laughs> that would have been that great. would be great. Yeah, I haven't really had a chance to look at it yet. Nice. Yeah, that definitely should be in there. Nice, nice. The only other thing I watched, well, listened to this week was your guys' podcast last week. I want to <laughs> say you're welcome. I was here to provide the content, provide the fodder. Otherwise, it would have been a, a lot of Mariners talk there. A, lot, a little unprepared for the Mariners talk. Listen, I said Austin Butler was the best part of that movie. He, I never used the words Vegas impersonator. I said there's a lot of people who do an impersonation of Austin Butler. I thought he was fun. Now, should he win Best Actor, like social media is saying? Absolutely not. But he, he was good in the movie. There's no problem with him. He's the game manager. You said you could have done just as good. That's I, what you well, said. Well, yeah, I think so. But, you know. You said he was fine, I guess. There's a lot of people who impersonate Elvis. So Quentin Tino impersonated Elvis on The Golden Girls. I would have loved to see that version. I knew he wanted Tarantino to direct it. <laughs> Todd, you, you agree with that. me about the movie. You, we, we're on the same page, and then you, you, you separated yourself from me. Well, I just, I thought, I thought Austin Butler was amazing, but you know. Well, I think that the philosophical <laughs> argument, which I think is true, I don't think you can have a great performance in a one-star movie. But you guys can disagree. I think there's a valid point to be made on both sides. But uh, I, just, I, I will be curious to see if it is on Terry's top five list. That is all I have to say. And we all know the black phone apparently is on Adam's top five list, which is amazing to me. But uh, I want to go back and watch the baseball scene. I did not notice all of the details <laughs> and the uh, specifics of your flaws of, of that movie. I was not prepared for that. I would have paid more attention. <laughs> it was the opening scene. Well, yeah, and I said I liked the opening scene. I just wasn't paying attention to the mechanics and strategy of the Little League game. About how the guy with the ball ran two inches from the the guy running the second and didn't tag him. Yeah, yeah. I think I was just more like, is this really we're gonna really get a dazed and confused horror movie? I, I was just kind of overwhelmed by that. I didn't focus on anything else. All right. Well, yes, we had a lot of fun at at your expense on on the podcast last week, and I'm glad. Like I'm I glad said, you were you're, able you're to welcome. Appreciate. Yeah. I was here to provide the entertainment. <laughs> Okay, well, with that, let's move on to talking about uh, the first half of this year. 
and uh, and everything that uh, that that entailed. So we're gonna go through and uh, reveal our bottom three so far and our top five of the first half of 2022. And let's see here, Zach. Since you weren't here last week, you get to go first. Just reveal. Go three, two, one on your bottom three. We'll start with that, and then we'll go to the top five. Okay, three, two, one on my bottom three. Uh, this shouldn't be a shock to anybody who's listened to the podcast. I guess mostly you two. Uh, but we've talked about all three of these movies, and uh, it was not fun uh, reviewing any of them. Number three on my bottom of the year list, Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, my goodness, uh, this should have been, it should have been Jurassic Park 3. You know, let's get William H. Macy, Taylor Leone. Let, let's get this to be a 90-minute movie written by Alexander uh, and Jim. Um, not this overproduced, overstuffed uh, bullshit. Uh, although I will say I did kind of like seeing Sam Neill and Laura Dern uh, reunited. Uh, number two, uh, the aforementioned Elvis with a, okay, so-so uh, lead performance, a commendable lead performance. Uh, not by Tom Hanks, but by uh, Austin Butler. Uh, maybe he'll appear on some of our recastings in the future. It's nice to have him on the radar. He was in the Carrie Diaries, which I'm ashamed to say I actually did watch. Todd, did you ever watch the Carrie Diaries? No. Okay, I shouldn't have revealed that on this podcast. Now it's out there. <laughs> uh, number one, worst movie of the year. I'd be shocked and su supremely disappointed if anything usurps this. The Bubble, which may actually be worse than Downsizing. It may be worse than A History of Violence. It may be worse than Margaret. It might be the worst movie I've ever seen. Not that I'm one for hyperbole. Uh, never. I would never expect you to have any hyperbole in anything that you say. All right. Uh, I'll go I'll go next. Um, let's see here. My bottom three. Uh, number three is Moonfall. Uh, mm. that it, was, it, it was pretty just predict well it kind of wasn't predictable but it was just lousy and how in its execution like all the way around so moonfall number two is the king's daughter which was uh pierce brosnan i think the last performance of william hurt which is kind of sad uh it, it was a movie that i think had been shelved for like two or three years and uh then re released it was a period piece that didn't really know what it was doing uh and number one's the bubble it, it, it yeah yeah I, I think just like uh space jam 2 was the slam dunk uh worst movie of last year i think the bubble's pretty slam dunk the worst movie this year so todd okay i i've seen 52 movies so these are 50 51 and 52 i guess uh number three worst movie is choose or die which is a really bad netflix movie uh oh. it's like a half-baked horror movie that Actually had a decent budget because Netflix was behind it. But, I mean, it's cool to see Eddie Marson, but, no, I mean, this is not a good movie. Number two worst movie is The Bubble. Uh, and still, it's just it's astonishing how bad it is. Because, like, Judd Apto is one of the most brilliant comedic minds in Hollywood. And this is just one of the stupidest things that I've ever seen. <laughs> it has some things that I like that are keeping it from being a zero-star movie. But, it's I mean, it's pretty horrible. And the worst movie of the year. We reviewed it on the podcast, and I'm now realizing that all three of these are Netflix movies. That's just perfect. Uh, it's Home Team. Um, I, ca I can't imagine who thought this was a good idea. Like, there is a movie that could be made about a suspended Sean Payton, but making, like, a kid's sports movie is just dull and misguided, and it just sucks. Like, I mean, and, and, and it sucks to, be, to the point that I had to put it last, even though there are movies that are, that are really bad, that had ambitions like Deepwater and Elvis, 
Like these are really bad movies too, but home team is just that bad. That has to be number one. I have eleven movies uh, above home. No, no, below home team. I have five below home team, and I've seen twenty-eight movies. I've seen twenty-eight movies in twenty. I was just surprised they were all Netflix movies. I didn't realize that. Yeah, hmm. I've got one Netflix and then two that were just like the the second part of one of my double features that I did at the theater. So, would you All have right. hated those movies more, Todd, if you had to actually like go through the process of getting a disc for them, <laughs> like have to wait two days for them? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess, but then again, I wouldn't have seen them for another few months, probably. But yeah. If I would have had to see him on the big screen, it would have made it even worse, too. I'm just curious about the disc thing. How long does it take? Like, what happens if the discs are scratched? How do you return it? I, I, I've never you, actually you met anyone send it who back does and the they'll send thing. you a new one. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's not that complicated. I did it for about 10 years, and then I, I just noticed I wasn't watching the discs anymore. So Can you get Blu-rays? Yeah. It costs a couple extra bucks a month, but yeah. Very interesting. You're becoming a relic, but you know, maybe someday someone will make a quirky documentary about the four people left in the world that do that, and you'll be one of them. Like an Errol Morris type documentary. Or like the documentary about the last blockbuster in Bend, Oregon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the top five of the year so far. Zach, it's to you. Okay. Just to clarify. Uh, I'm not including Petite Maman on my list because even though I saw that in 2022, it was on Todd's 21 list. It would be in my top five this year, but I'm calling it a movie from last year. Um, we always debate on what year what everything is. Yeah, so. and and Funny Haha is a 2002 movie, by the way. I don't know what what 2005. What? No, look at IMDb. Isn't I that did. the authority? Uh, no, on IMDb it's 2002. Um. Like when year, it's released the in the United IMDb, States. Yeah, the year IMDb list is the is the year of the first time anyone was able to see it. Whatever. And then, I yeah. I knew I I just I was looking forward to none of you getting it, so that was part of why I kept it. On you working. thought I anyway, was trying um, to get it. You said congratulations, Todd. <laughs> at least Todd, you, can, you it's a great movie. It's my favorite Mumblecore movie, and, and sometime we should do a deep dive on it. Okay, anyway, number five on my list. Uh, do I go artsy fartsy? Do I go mainstream? I don't know. Um, I don't actually like the artsy fartsy movie quite as much, so I guess I have to go mainstream. It's Top Gun Maverick. We talked about it on this podcast. It might appear on some other lists, but it's just so enjoyable. We've all—I haven't—I've still only seen it one time. Um, I, I would love to go back and watch it. It's supposed to get in the hundreds this week in in the middle of the uh, country, and uh, it's just—it's an awesome experience. To, kudos to the team. They shot it like you know back when people were getting discs from Netflix, and now it's just getting released. And uh, they didn't put it in theaters. It didn't go through the tenant bullshit. Uh, it was a, a, a wonderful experience seeing it in the theaters. Tom Cruise introduced the movie, which is great. Uh, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. So I, I hope to see it on your guys' list too. Uh, number four is Kimmy, the, uh, Kimmy, uh, the, uh, the Steven Soderbergh movie. I don't know if you guys have watched it yet, but, uh, one of the great, uh, pandemic movies, um, starring Zoe Kravitz. Her name in the movie is not Kimmy, but Kimmy is the, uh, kind of AI, uh, service, um, not too unlike Alexa 
that she is involved with um, sort of beta testing. And uh, basically the movie's kind of like Rear Window meets Copycat, that Sigourney Weaver movie, because she's very like agoraphobic and there's some government details involved and there's a, there's a romance that's pretty cool. And it's just, a, it's a really cool movie about people who stare across in their apartment complexes while secluded and quarantined during the pandemic. Uh, speaking of which, number three is also a movie about people stuck in apartment complexes who get very paranoid when they see things across the way. That is a movie called Watcher. Uh, I don't think either of you have seen this yet. Uh, it's with the screen, current reigning scream queen Micah Monroe. It's a really, really good one. Um, and it is uh, about a woman uh, in Romania. Well, she's an American woman and her husband. They go to Romania for his work. And she is obsessed with, well, she's not obsessed, but she believes that there is a strange man across the way staring at her and spying on, on her. And uh, basically, I think this is just a perfectly executed ode to Hitchcock. It's a movie that Hitchcock would have loved. It's a, a really fun watch. Um, it's, it's actually pr pretty scary, I think, and deeply uncomfortable at times and just uh, exceptionally well done genre piece. Really, really enjoyed it. Kind of out of nowhere. So a uh, really fun one. Uh, number two on my list is uh, two and one are like 1A, 1B. It could go either way. Uh, two is Happening, the Audrey Dewan movie about uh, set in 1963, based, I think, loosely on a real life uh, story of a young woman in France who finds herself pregnant, but unable to get a legal abortion because abortion has been outlawed. Does that seem familiar? And uh, it is a great parable. Uh, well, not parable, but now it's reality. Uh, but beyond that, it's just a really gripping movie in the same vein as uh, two, uh, four months, three weeks, and two days, and um, uh, some, uh, never rarely, sometimes always. Um, there's a race against time, great performances, goes in some unexpected directions, and just really, really powerful stuff. Uh, and then the number one movie of the year so far is Gaspar Noe's Vortex, shot in a split screen in the grand tradition of Amour and the father about elderly people who are in cognitive decline. The husband is played by the great director Ar Dario Argento. Um, his wife is played by Francois Lebrun. And um, they uh, basically kind of live out their last days in this awesome Parisian apartment that when they die, I hope to inherit because it's an amazing apartment full of books and movies, but that's not really the point of the movie. Uh, it is uh, just uh, an experience. You can actually like smell this movie when you're watching it. Uh, you need to see it on a big screen. Welcome back, Gaspar Noe. It's been a while. I, I like Climax. I like most of his movies, but this one reached a whole new kind of emotional level and uh, it's pretty unforgettable. And I, I think especially those top two movies, I'd be surprised if they're not on my end of the year top 10 list. Nice. Nice. All right. Uh, my turn now for my top five. By the way, I've seen I've seen exactly forty movies. I, I meant I meant to say it. Yeah, I thought I was doing well when I got to twenty eight, but okay. I think I've seen one of your five. So nice. Well, there now you've got some homework. Wonder which one it was. All right, so uh, my top five. I I gotta say the battle for fifth was like the toughest battle of them all. So I'm gonna shout out two movies that real that almost got the fifth spot, and that's uh, the outfit and Apollo ten and a half. Like they're the ones that just missed and like just missed so closely that I wanted to say uh, I want to mention them. So number five on my list so far, my top five of the first half of the year is everything everywhere all at once. Uh, the breakout hit of the first half of the year. It, it's one that I know 
had mixed reviews on our podcast, but it is just so original, so inventive, so creative, and yet so grounded in its in its themes that it, it was it was just a blast to watch. It's one I'm really looking forward to seeing again soon. Uh, you know, when, when it becomes available streaming, but it's still in theaters and still making decent money, which is just insane that a small little film like this is doing as well as it is. Uh, number four on my list was our 2022 trip into the cager, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Nice. Uh, just, I mean, one of the best times at the movies I've had all year and just pure entertainment fun. I mean, it loses its way a little bit there or else this could have been like an all time great, but uh, it's right here. Number four on my list of the first half of the year. Number three, it's Elvis. Uh, this movie is like I said last yes. week, it is this messy spectacle that I could not get enough of. Um, and like I said last week, if a Baz Luhrmann biopic of Elvis sounds appealing, you're going to love this movie. If you if that sounds horrible, you're not going to like this movie. And that's why our opinions were so split. Um, I will say my wife went and saw this movie this last week. She loved it as much as I did. So, I mean, there there are those that love it. There are those that hate it. No one's really in between on it. But I love this movie. I loved everything it was doing. And I thought it worked great. Uh, number two is The Batman. Uh, it a uh, This kind of cool neo-noir superhero movie i mean it worked so much better than i thought it was going to um and it it really turned out to be this really cool masterpiece uh it and what's funny is it feels like it's kind of been a forgotten movie so far in the first half of the year like not many people are going back and saying oh hey yeah the batman was amazing but it, it was and i it, it was the first four-star movie i gave of 2022 and absolutely loved it. I have watched it again since, and it holds up. It's it's just as good. Um, it, and it's it's dark, it's brooding, but it's brilliant in its execution. And Robert Pattinson's amazing. And I gotta say, it, it's gone up to a four star movie. Number one is Top Gun Maverick. Uh, nice. I've now seen it three times in theaters. It gets better every time. Uh, I've never had this desire of I need to go see this again. And I feel like I still need to go see it again in theaters because it is just so good. All the things that I, all, all the like minor like flaws I saw in it, the more I watch it, the more I just love it even more. And those, those flaws just kind of melt away and you just bask in the brilliance of this amazing movie. And it, yeah, it's, it's my number one of the first half of the year. It's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. So that's where I'm at. So it sounds like what you're saying, Terry, is that on a dead week, we should just review Top Gun Maverick again. <laughs> I mean, so, maybe, maybe. <laughs> could this be our first deep dive of a movie currently in a theater? I think it would make a great candidate. <laughs> that would be amazing. The real MVP is the Regal uh, Regal Pass. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I saw, the third time I saw it, I saw it with my wife, and we went to... The, the Lloyd Center Regal uh, in Portland. And uh, I sent a picture to Zach and he had no idea what I was talking about. But <laughs> I, I yeah, think what I it was, it was Ponzi. Yeah, I think I think that the thing was it was in the daylight and we never went to oh. that theater in the daylight. We always went at night. So it yeah. looked weird. You should see it in a different theater each time. <clears throat> that that Have would I? be or yeah, that I, I, think, oh, I think I think the first two were in the same theater. 
What's great about it too is that like around here, it's like playing in both the mainstream Regal and AMC theaters and the art house theaters. It's great. It just has universal appeal. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, Terry Sr. Did, did go and see it. He said it's the best movie he's ever seen. Nice. Todd, give us your top five. Uh, my number five, well, obviously the Batman was just, just a missed the list, but uh, number five is, uh, I've talked about a few times on the podcast, it's called Seven Days, which is the best movie about COVID that I've seen. It's a, uh, about an uncomfortable prearranged date by a couple of young Indians who inadvertently get locked down together at the very beginning of the COVID shutdowns, and the two leads are great. They have great chemistry. It's a funny pretty observant movie and the stakes aren't too high but it's charming and uh it got to me it's it's available on hoopla if you have a, a library card um number four i have uh cha-cha real smooth which i reviewed a few weeks ago cooper rafe is just a star he is irresistible and the movie is super earnest it's about a guy who is, becomes a party starter for bar mitzvahs and yeah cooper rafe is just i mean he's a singular talent and uh, it's this year's indie darling that I expect to get some awards love in about six months. It's on Apple. Uh, number three, I've Top Gun Maverick. It's, I mean, it's just killer. It's the most intense movie I've seen in years. Like the the scene where Maverick runs a training course is the best scene of the year. It's uh, Cruise is still our greatest movie star. I, I do need to go see it again. Number two, I have The Outfit, which Terry mentioned. It's directed by Oscar winner Graham Moore. It's uh, Mark Rylance as a tailor who gets entangled in some mob plot. It's uh, it's pretty low-key. It all takes place basically in one location. And I, I love this movie. It's way smarter than most movies in that genre. And the, the twists uh, are handled really well. I, I can't imagine someone not getting a kick out of this movie. It's, it's available on Peacock. And my number one, uh, by a decent margin, is I Want You Back, which is the uh, Jenny Slate, Charlie Day movie. I wouldn't have thought that they would have been the stars of one of the best movies of the year, but they they are. It's about a guy and a girl who get dumped and then they sort of start this friendship and try to sabotage their exes and um, and, and their new seemingly happy relationships. Uh, it's just disarming how, how, uh, how good they are together and how hilarious this movie is. I wasn't expecting much, but it works. And I, if this is ignored by like the Golden Globes, I'm going to be really disappointed because... This is the kind of movie like Palm Springs or something. There's a reason why the comedy musical category exists. It would never get get the love at the Oscars or anything like that. It's a bit predictable, but it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a brilliant movie and it's available on Prime. So watch that if you haven't watched it. Nice. Yeah, uh, the outfit is one that I I, I loved it. Uh, it could have even been higher on my list, but I felt like the end just had a few too many twists and turns and. It was like I it didn't know what what uh what twist to end on, so it just kept on creating more. Um so that, way, that yeah. was that was the one thing that, that I had against that. Um I I will say this week I tried to catch a, a a last movie or two to to uh see if they'd make my top five and uh I didn't get to many. I got to one though, and the one I got to was Cha Cha Real Smooth. And uh and I did like it. It's a three star movie. Uh, it, but again, he didn't know how to end it. He tried to end it like three or four or five different times. And he just kept on putting another scene on top of it. And that felt unnecessary. So, uh, but he is magnetic and you're right. He, he is a star and to, to see what he's going to end up doing, it's going to be fun. 
<laughs> yeah, it was like when I first watched like Thunder Road, I was like, okay, this guy's doing everything, and he he knows how to do everything, and he's a great actor on top of it. Like, it, he's speaking he's gonna of, be doing making these movies forever. Speaking well, of Thunder Road, I watched the beta test for the first time this week too, and that was I, that was an interesting movie. <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> I just saw, I I watched Cha Cha Real Smooth too. Actually, maybe has some parallels with the movie we're gonna be discussing in a little bit. Uh, I love Dakota Johnson in it, and I love her daughter in it. And I basically completely disagree. I don't. I don't think Cooper Rafe is a good actor. I, he was the problem with the movie for me. Like the movie should have been about the 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 mother and the daughter, and that the, that dynamic in that family was way more interesting than his malaise coming home from school and his girlfriend is cheating on him. I just I've seen that in a million other movies. He's definitely got his thing and his shtick, and it's going to be really interesting to see what he does when he tries to branch out from that. Yes, that is what a lot of people have said. I think he could have, he should have been in the Top Gun Maverick cast. You know, maybe bulk up a little bit, go up in the fighter jet and throw up. Maybe play some piano, grow a mustache. That's the that's the Cooper Rape I wanted. So you guys haven't seen my number one? No, no. I I I I remember when it came out, and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And then I remember you loved it. Like well, now that. It. Yeah, I need to I need to check that one out. I did not know you guys liked the outfit that much. It was here. I just thought, you know, I don't I don't generally like Mark Rylance movies. So I it it I is a perfect that. role for him. It is a perfect role for him. Okay. I I mean I thought the golf movie was gonna be a perfect role for him, but you know. I, I, I was I, I didn't get a chance to check that one out. It was only here for a week. Usually a movie is here for at least two. And so when it came out, I was like, oh, I'll catch it next week. And then it disappeared. I was really I wonder bored. why. Yeah. It's still at the, the Grand over in Tacoma, so Okay. But I yeah, I haven't gotten to see it either. Well, it right. sounds like we got some movies to watch, especially Terry. Yeah. I mean, how many of these, how many of Todd and my movies have you actually seen? I think. I think I've seen three? one of yours, and then I've Top seen Gun. yeah, Top seen, Gun Maverick. You've seen three of mine. I've seen three of Todd's. It's inexcusable that you guys haven't watched Kimmy. I mean, I say what you will. Vortex yeah. is a, is hard to get to. I get it, but Kimmy is like an awesome ninety minute romp. It's a banger, man. It's it's awesome. Yeah, that one's on Prime, right? Uh, no, I think HBO Max. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I want you other... back was released on Prime first day too, so you haven't gotten to that one either, and that was months ago. Yeah, and we talked one... about this, but but Todd did mention that the best thing he's seen all year is Beavis and Butthead, but it's not really a movie. It's in the it's, yeah. a, it's the Bo Burnham territory. Yeah, it, it is it is better than I want you back. So yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's not a movie or it's not a theatrical movie. So, but I want you back. Is that was what I was wondering? Was it a was it a straight to prime? Or did it have any sort of theatrical run? I, I think it. I think it was in theaters or a festival or something. But okay. And Adam's the, number one is the Black Phone, right? That's we know that he didn't send in his top five, but I'm sure he's. Uh, he'll. Uh, I know he's working on a daily notes right now, and I bet. I oh, bet he'll so we shouldn't have spoiled that. Okay, we'll cut that out. Well, I mean, he he said it last week, so unless he watched <laughs> something in the last week that's going to better it. Um, the one I wanted to catch that I didn't get time to, uh, that uh, is another one that got this huge cult following in the first half of the year is RRR, the yeah. three hour Bollywood movie. It's now on Netflix, but, uh, I couldn't convince my wife to sit down with me and watch a three hour Bollywood movie. So I haven't gotten to it yet, but I want to, I want to. 
Yeah, the one that I, I, if I had had more time, I would have watched this week is Hit the Road, the Iranian movie by Panah, Panahi, um, the son of the director Jafar Panahi. And uh, supposed to be a really good road movie in the long tradition of Iranian road movies. Um, but I believe that is also available on Prime at this point. All right. Well, there you go. There's the best of the first half of the year. I think all of us could probably say that at least two, maybe two of these will uh, at least be considered, if not make our top 10 at the end of the year. But we got a lot of fun stuff coming up uh, for the last half of, the, of 2022. And we'll be talking about that for the next six months on the podcast. So let's get into our deep dive for the week. And it just kind of worked out this way that the weekend of Todd's birthday also happened to be the weekend that he got to pick the deep dive. So he picked one of his favorite movies of all time, celebrating the 25th anniversary of Good Will Hunting. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. I went on a date last week. Going out again? I don't know. This girl's like, you know, beautiful. She's smart. She's fun. <laughs> She's like perfect right now. I don't want to ruin that. Maybe you're perfect right now. Maybe you don't want to ruin that. Uh, we're going to start with trivia, as we always do in our deep dives. Uh, we start with trivia because we always give away the answers to trivia questions if we end with trivia. And uh, I'm hosting, so you get to keep listening to me talk. And since this is Todd's movie, we're going to start with Zach and uh, and see how he does. So, Todd, unplug and go home. All right. Todd's gone. There we go. Okay. Zach, there are 16 questions worth 18 points. Holy crap. First of all, before we get there, has there ever been a mid-year where Todd's number one movie was something we'd actually heard of? It's <laughs> a good point. It's a good point. I, I mean, have heard of this mainstream... movie, though. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, yeah. it's with mainstream actors, but <clears throat> my God. Every, every year it's like this. Every year it's something totally out of the blue. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. Go, go ahead. We got 16 questions. 16 questions, a... 18 points. That's a couple tough. of them will be something that'll be whoever gets closest. Uh... Okay gets it but uh those are those are at the end okay here we go uh first question what's the name of the group's bar no idea okay it's the l street tavern nice all right number two what did morgan order for lunch after the baseball game well it was a, a sandwich of some kind right um turkey sandwich something like that it it I'll give you a half point because they do argue about the sandwich. It was a double burger, though. Oh, okay. I know the uh, scene. I just didn't remember what it was. Next question. What author did Will call the Harvard guy out for plagiarizing? Well, there were several, right? I mean, Gordon Wood was one of them. Um, oh, okay. Vicar Vickers was Vickers another? was the one I'd written down. You know what? I'll give you two points. Pete Garrison. I think that was another one. Is, Pete is Garrison. It? Okay. Yeah. Okay. You get extra points for that. Yeah, I I'll thought give you... Because okay, he, he mentions a lot. Those. Yeah. Vickers is the last one he mentioned. Vickers. I actually had oh, a Gordon Wood I'll write book. this down. I wonder if I still have it. Gordon I have Wood. Gordon and what was the other actually. one you said? Uh, Pete Garrison. Pete Garrison. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you points for all those. Okay. Uh, next question. What building does Professor Lambeau work in? Mm, it's, it's like two. Building two is correct. There we go. <laughs> uh, Next question. This is worth three points. Will's first therapist says he needs to stop doing what three things? Are we talking about Spalding Gray? Um, the, the, I think mm, so. Mm, mm, yeah, that guy. 
Oh, that's a real loony over there. That guy. Let me check. Or are we talking about the 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 meditate the meditation? Not the I, meditation. Either, guy. either way, I don't think I know the answer. He needs uh, to stop doing three things. Th yeah, he says three things that he needs to stop doing. I, I I don't know. I don't remember that. The three things are shenanigans, tomfoolery, and, and ballyhoo. Okay, I think you need to rephrase that question because okay. I did note that line, but I thought that was just I, I thought that was a very amusing line because I don't think anyone uh, outside of past nineteen thirty has ever used those words. That's why I wrote them down. Uh, next question: How does Lambo know Sean? Oh, they were roommates, like Jack and Miles. Exactly. In some college. of these are pretty simple, and some of them I don't know if, if they get too tough. Uh, next question. Uh, where is Skylar going to school in the fall? Stanford. Go Cardinal. Still a Pac-12 school somehow. Still a Pac-12 school. I don't know. Not much longer. I was, was going to mention that up, up top, and I forgot. But um, I, I read somewhere someone was joking that Stanford should just join the Ivy League. Um. Next question. How much is Skylar's brain going to be worth? $250,000. That is correct. I love these number questions. Keep asking more. I know okay. gas price. I wrote that down. According to Sean, what does Will not know about art? What does Will not know about art? Yes. Uh, what the, what the, what it smells like uh what the the da, da vinci uh yeah i think you and i went, once went there together uh i'm blanking on the name of it which is kind of depressing um <laughs> give me a half point for it i'll give the sistine chapel sistine chapel there you, we go you get the half point because you knew exactly what it was and i've been there yes we, we did go there. there 15 years ago by the way that's right how old does that make you feel um all right uh how many brothers does will say he has Maki, Willie, Bobby, Brian, 12. 12. I thought you were going to ask me to, to recite all of them. That would have been good, but I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question. What date did Sean know his wife was the one? October 21st, 1975. That is impressive. Correct. Uh, next question. Why does Morgan watch porn in Chucky's mom's room? God, that's, the, I mean, I'll talk about it. I, I didn't really pay attention during their banter. That was one of the weakest parts of the movie for me. I don't know. She's got like a towel up there. I don't know. Something stupid. It's the only VCR in the house. There we go. Uh, next question. What's written on the pennant in Sean's office wall? I noticed that too, although I forgot what it's like MIA something. M-I-A-P-O-W? No, it's Ireland. Oh. Okay. Well, I th there's another, there's like a flag with like, uh, I, I seem like some sort of veteran thing, but okay. Yeah, the, no, the, the, the like the triangular pennant. There's a okay. Ireland pennant. Okay. Um. Next question: What could Will do to violate the patient-doctor relationship? I I don't violate his violate his parole. I don't know. I, I, Gra I don't know. grab Sean's ass. Oh, that's is right. when when they're hugging. And he's like, Bros. is this violating the the parent-doctor relationship? He goes, only if you grab my ass. Bros. All right. Uh, the next two, it's it's going to be whoever gets closest uh, between the two of you. Uh, so the next one, where does this rank on the IMDb top two fifty? Sixty-two. Okay. And the last one, how many weeks did Goodwill Hunting spend in the top ten at the domestic box office? Seven. All right. We'll see how you did on those in a little bit, but let's bring Todd back. There are 16 questions worth 20 points. That's a lot uh, of questions. Yeah, Zach got 10, 
and there's two that are still in limbo depending on how you answer so okay uh first question what is the name of their bar they always go to it's like it's like l saint edwards or something all right i'm giving you a half point because it's the l street tavern but the first part is L S T. So is probably yeah. street, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, yeah, I, 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 mean, I gotta give be. him that. I gotta give him that. Okay, half point. Next question: What did Morgan order for lunch after the baseball game? Um, I mean, a sandwich. That's what I said. Didn't I give you a half? I gave you a half. Yeah, point, you gave me a half point. Yeah, yeah. So Todd, Todd's up to a whole point now. It's a double burger. But they keep on making fun of him for his sandwich. But he, it's like, all right, who ordered the double burger? And they were calling it a sandwich. A double burger. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, next question's worth three points. What authors did Will call the Harvard guy out for plagiarizing? Wait, wait the Harvard guy? Which guy? Harvard guy? Clark, right? Isn't Clark. that his name? Yeah. Uh, Vickers. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like he doesn't. He says he's going to plagiarize him for Gordon Wood, but that's not he didn't plagiarize him. Well, well, uh, well, Gordon Wood was one of them Zach Zach came up with. So he says you're going to be regurgitating Gordon Wood. Oh, I see. Well, I gave Zach the point for Gordon Wood, so you get the point for Gordon Wood. Um, one other name. That's the first one. I, I don't remember what it is. Pete Garrison. Yes. Pete Garrison, yeah. Brother of New Orleans DEA, Jim Garrison, memorably played by Kevin Costner in JFK. No, I don't know if that's true. They just have the same last name. That's why That's why I noticed it. It sounded convincing. It, d- it did sound convincing. There we go. Just like All right. Little. Next question. What building does Professor Lambeau work in? Well, he doesn't know, so he looks at Tom and he says two. Building two is correct. Um... Will's first therapist says he needs to stop doing what three things? I thought this was an oddly worded question. Um, no more. Oh, hiding? No, no. No more shenanigans. No more tomfoolery. No more ballyhoo. Okay. Yeah, that's a weird <laughs> question. But yeah, I do. I do remember that line. That was the same thing Zach said. All it right. just should be the three archaic phrases from the 20s that a yeah. 20s flapper would use. Yeah. The only times you hear them now are if uh, Conan O'Brien is doing something. Or, or Mr. Goofy. Burns. Yeah, or Mr. Burns. Which Should have asked what nightclub yeah. he goes to where it's, I guess, boom, boom, boom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fantasy. <laughs> uh, next question. How does Lambo know Sean? They went to Harvard. Uh, half point. They were roommates. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean that that that's how they knew each other. They were roommates. But anyway, all right. I mean, you could you could have said be more specific and not just give me a half point. Okay, fine. I'll you you knew I know you know the answer. We'll give it to you. Uh, where is Skylar going to school in the fall? Stanford. Correct. How much is Skylar's brain going to be worth? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That is correct. Uh, according to Sean, what does Will not know about art? Uh, what it's like to 
or what, what it smells like at the Sistine Chapel when it's like that to look up at the correct. at the painting. Yes, I, I had written down what the Sistine Chapel smells like. Uh, how many brothers does Will say he has? He has twelve older brothers. Uh, what date did Sean know his wife was the one? October twenty first, nineteen seventy five. That is correct. Nice. You both got that one. That's impressive. Uh, why does Morgan watch porn in Chucky's mom's room? Because he doesn't have cable in his house. No, it's the only VCR in the house. But Todd's answer is probably accurate. He, sa- he, he says too? he says he doesn't have VCR in his house, or he doesn't have cable in his house. But yeah, okay. Like he says, it's the only VCR in the house. But he said, but he also asked him, why don't you do it at your house? And he says, because I don't have cable. Oh, okay. But okay, well, either way. <laughs> what what's written on the pennant on Sean's office wall? I even like mentally took note of that too. It was, uh, <laughs> it's like, like Dublin. Oh, it's just Ireland. Ireland. It's just Ireland. You, <laughs> you are on the right track. Um, all right. Uh, at the end of the movie. Uh, what do they say Will could do to violate his parent, do- the patient doctor relationship? Oh, if he grabs his ass. If he grabs Sean's ass, that is correct. Okay, and so the score right now is eleven to ten, and there are the last two questions. Whoever gets closest gets the point. So this is all. This all comes down to this. Where does this rank on the IMDb top two hundred and fifty, Todd? Eighty-two. 82 is correct. So, like, that's the right answer. That's the right answer. Damn. <laughs> Zach said 62, you know that? which is pretty good. I looked at it earlier today. Oh, okay. Inside All right. And so, so, the last question is how many weeks did Goodwill Hunting spend in the top 10 at the domestic box office? When was it released? What month? Um, It was a Late. limited December release and then a. a wide January release. I'm going to say nine. Zach said seven. You said nine. It was 13 weeks it spent in the top wow. 10. It made 138 million at the box office domestically. So Todd got both those. He wins 13 to 10. <laughs> that was a bunch of ballyhoo. <laughs> bunch of tomfoolery all right todd yeah some good questions you didn't ask about the uh the numbers on will's uh shirts he had one that said 15 and one that said seven i thought for sure you're going with the jersey numbers i thought were hockey jerseys pudge fisk's number 32 pudge fisk was 27 oh okay you're right 27 (laughs) i didn't even know that from the movie (laughs) or how much sean benched that was another one I thought you were gonna ask. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would right? that would have been a good one. That'd been a good one. All right. Well, Todd, you picked Goodwill Hunting. Tell us uh, about it and your experience with it. Okay, Goodwill Hunting. Is, I mean, Will Hunting is a a genius. He has like photographic memory, sort of, and he is a he works as a janitor and he uh, gets in a lot of trouble, so he has to. Um, he ends up getting arrested and part of his uh instead of going to jail he has to go see a therapist played by 
Robin Williams in his Oscar-winning role. He also falls for this Harvard girl, or not Harvard, uh, yeah, Harvard girl, um, Skyler, played by Minnie Driver. And but it really, what he wants to do is just stay in South Boston with his buddies, and because uh, he's sort of uh, afraid to expand his horizons and go use his gift. Uh, and I, the first time I saw this movie, I loved it. I think I immediately put it in my top five of all time. Like, and what I've always said is like, if this, if I was making my top hundred about movies that both were in- incredibly watchable and were um, great movies, then this would be number one. Because, I mean, like my number one's a Deer Hunter, but it's not like a movie I could watch every day. A Good Will Hunting, I absolutely could watch every day, and it's also a masterpiece of a movie. And I've I've always been a fan. I watched it twice this week, it, and it never I never ended. I was like, okay, I get it or anything, because I I could watch this all day. The, the actors are great. The writing is top notch. It, it, it like some of the monologues just move a mile a minute, and it, it's yeah, it, it is one of the great movies. It's a absolutely a '90s movie in a lot of ways, but it it also is just, I mean, it it is, does seem timeless at the same time. Yeah, uh, I watched this this week for the first time, and I don't know how long. It had been a while, and uh, that was one of the things that struck me is just how watchable it is. Um, and uh, it it kind of it kind of moves along, it it breezes along, and uh, the dialogue is like you don't know when you've got two stars that are the ones that wrote it, you really don't know how much of it was on the page or how much of it they were just kind of making up as they go along, especially when you add in the, the improvisational skills of Robin Williams too. But uh, it, it just feels so lived in. Um, and it's impressive for a movie written by a couple of, you know, mid twenties guys uh, in like their first, their first writing gig to, uh, to come up with a movie that feels so lived in. And, uh, and yeah, I will say, even I think after the, I don't remember when I watched this for the first time, but I think even after the first time I watched it, it when I would think about the title Good Will Hunting, I wouldn't think about it being Good Will Hunting. I would think it it would be about like a search for goodwill, goodwill hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why that's always what popped into my head whenever I thought of this title, but it always is. So <laughs> I think that's by design. It might be, it might be, but it, oh, I, I always had to remind myself, oh yeah, his name's Will. That's why it's, that's why it's called There's Will. no reason for it to be, they'd say good Will Hunting. Like, I mean, in, in some ways he is a good guy, but I mean, that, yeah. that make that title would make no sense if it wasn't saying good Will. Yeah, true. Zach? All right, well, uh, first of all, when did you guys first watch this movie? Just out of curiosity. Like, what year? College, probably. Yeah, probably somewhere around there. Of seven, maybe. Okay. I saw this movie pretty close to when it came out. It was one of the first R-rated movies I ever saw. Um, my parents were okay with it because it was just bad language. So I'm, I'm guessing I saw it maybe in 98 or 99 when it came out on home video. I definitely remember the VHS of it. And, uh, you know, you guys like to rip on me. I don't like old movies. Yeah, that's probably true. I do change my opinion over movies about movies over time. And this is one of the few examples where my opinion when I was 11 years old when I saw it is pretty much the exact same as it was watching it last night, which is that I like the movie. It obviously introduced the world to Ben and Matt. Still want to see some ID. It was Robin Williams's great 
performance that he finally won a long overdue Oscar for. It was, you know, Miramax in its heyday. Now Miramax is canceled and rightfully so. But hey, this was an example of a movie that got a shit ton of nominations. Uh, I've never loved this movie. I mean, I think it's it's fine. It's I think the movie has been served by two things in the last 10 years, especially. One is Robin Williams' death, you know, tragically. Uh, because this is, of course, the first performance that they would put in his obituary or any sort of montage clip package of his career. And two, that uh, speaking of which, this is a movie full of great scenes. Uh, it absolutely has wonderful scenes. How about Dem Apples? Uh, Gotta go see about a girl. Best part of my day. Um, it's not your fault. I mean, you say these iconic lines, you know exactly what scenes they are, and they are fantastic to watch on YouTube. So I got to say, I probably haven't seen this movie from start to finish in at least a good 10 to 15 years. So sitting watching it again uh, in the scenes that weren't on YouTube were not quite as interesting. But like I said, there's some really good writing, there's some good scenes, and for many actors in this movie whose careers have included some really famously bad performances, uh, this is probably this cast at maybe the apex of their careers. I mean, there's really not really any bad performances in this movie. Um, very good performances. I just wish that the movie had pushed it a little bit further. I think there is a movie also about a math genius that came out four years later that won some Academy Awards that I, I compare this movie probably unfavorably to that I think depicts genius a little bit more interestingly. Um, and it's just too sweet and nice and, and, you know, I, I, I need more, I, I need more, uh, you know, uh, uh, the depressing shit. But that being said, I respect Todd's pick. I would not say this movie is full of Elvis impersonators. It's a good movie. It is a three-star movie. I'll say that again. It is a three-star movie that I give thumbs up to, uh, but in no way, shape or form should have been nominated for nine Oscars, but it did give us two great Oscars, actually three great Oscar moments. If you include... Uh, uh, the song uh, performed at the Oscars uh, too. Uh, so um, yes, uh, Elliot Smith, R.I.P. But uh, so so be it. But it was a, I guess it's a fun movie to watch, and I'm glad we're deep diving. We had to at some point, right? Yeah. Well, and and I mean, comparing it to A Beautiful Mind, I don't think that's necessarily fair because I don't that's think true. this is a movie. This like that is about a movie, or A Beautiful Mind is about a genius. This really has nothing to do with the fact that he's a genius. It's not that's not what it's about. It it the the him being a genius really is it it just it it gives someone a reason to care about him. I, I think that's that's the only the only thing that his 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 wicked smarts really play into the into the plot at all. It finally gave someone a reason to give a crap about this guy and and dig into who he actually is. Another thing that I will say, I think Boston becoming the dominant sports city of the last 20 years, like right after this movie, really helped this movie. And I love Boston. And uh, go Boston. Like the line where he says, if we're still watching Patriots games in 20 years, well, yeah, bro, you probably still are watching Patriots games in 20 years because they were winning the Super Bowl 20 years later. But, you know. It's two years later, they drafted Tom Brady. That's right. <laughs> well, 20 years later, technically, they were losing the Super Bowl. Well, that, there is that. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, this movie was nominated for for nine Oscars. It won two of them. And yeah, like you said, it had some great um, moments from that. Robin Williams winning, of course, Matt and Ben getting up there and accepting their Oscars and trying not to hyperventilate and pass out while on stage. If you don't know what we're talking about, look up Matt and Ben winning their Oscar. It's one of the most iconic moments of the last 25 years of Oscars for sure. That would have been a good trivia question. Who did they thank in their Oscar speech? I know one person they thanked was Cuba Gooding for showing them how to give an Oscar speech because they were kind of doing a Cuba Gooding thing. They wouldn't get off the stage after the music started playing. That's amazing. All right. Well, uh, let's get into, we got a couple things we're going to look at before we get into our regular categories. And one of them is, so this movie was, like I said, it was written by Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. They wouldn't write another movie until the last duel last year, which is kind of funny. But um, it was directed by Gus Van Sant. And so what we're big fans of Gus Van Sant. So we decided we're going to do a Mount Rushmore of Gus Van Sant and uh, and see how this goes. Um, I think, is it safe to say Goodwill Hunting is the, the consensus non-negotiable? Probably. I think so. I think you know, can say since that. we're doing a podcast all about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we have come up with these categories before where that is not the non-negotiable. So, uh, so he's got I'll... two nominations, and this is definitely the more established of the two, right? This is more the, the established masterpiece that he has. I think so. I think so. All right. So uh, I'm going to go first and uh, in submitting my submission, and my submission is going to be, I think, his other nomination, and that's Milk. Uh, I think this is a movie that um, it, it it's one of his more grounded movies. Like Gus Van Sant can be a little out there at times. Uh, this is one of his much uh, more approachable movies. And I think it also might be the greatest performance we've seen from Sean Penn. And, uh, and uh, the way he just completely embodied Harvey Milk in this movie was incredible and transformative. And I know Todd doesn't like that he won the Oscar because it, beat mickey rourke but uh i i think if if uh if he hadn't won four years or yeah four years earlier for mystic river like this would have been a slam dunk sean penn oscar the only reason he wasn't the slam dunk is because he won one so recently so uh yeah i'm going milk milk is my is my pick so todd you're next. What are you picking? Okay, I believe I've seen every one of Gus Van Sant's movies, and That's so he impressive. has certain multiple stages in his career. Uh, I I guess I got I got to go with one of his early movies because that's when I mean I I truly do love these movies, and uh, I would say Drugstore Cowboy has to be on his Mount Rushmore. It's the uh, the breakout role really for Matt Dillon uh, as the leader of this group of drug addicted people who like rob drug stores to uh, get their pills and stuff and it, it is a really grounded really just watchable but also really dark movie and he had another one a few years later that would that that also was in that same that same tone but like drugstore cowboy like when i first watched it it was in my top 100 i i haven't seen it in years so we've got goodwill hunting we've got milk we've got drugstore cowboy zach I'm going to go with the only Gus Van Sant film that's in my top 100, which is Elephant, which is a movie that I think kind of gets shit on unfairly because people say, oh, yeah, you know, the Cannes Film Festival has produced such great, uh, you know, Palme d'Or winners. 
uh, except for elephant. We're just going to skip over that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why. I mean, frankly, I think it's a perfect kind of movie for pretentious European sensibility. So I don't know why people are, are uh, gang, gang up on it. But uh, I think it's, it's an amazing movie, very timely movie still today, unfortunately, about a school shooting. But he does sort of like almost like a Tarantino thing with chronology. I mean, he kind of plays around with what happens first. He plays around with subjectivity and perspective. Um, you know, the movie's known for its. This was, I, I agree, absolutely agree with Todd that you can kind of chart Van Sant's career in phases. And this was definitely during his most like artistically cerebral and experimental period, which is kind of funny because it's out right after Goodwill Hunting. But this is in the death trilogy of Jerry Elephant and Last Days. All three of which I think are pretty good movies, but Elephant stands out because it's just uh, it's hypnotic. It's really uncomfortable to watch. It's it, you, it it's you know a, a movie that is about something that uh, the media is hysterical about and could have probably been done so poorly, especially with some truly uh, amateur actors in the movie. Uh, but uh, it's so well done and frankly hasn't been close to being matched in the last twenty years. Movies about rampages or shootings or even high school movies it's kind of a great in a roundabout way great high school movie so it's a movie i've always admired i've always come back to it i think it's unfairly impugned but uh i it's a movie that uh i, I deeply it, it profoundly moved me and and as i'll mention again for the 70th time on this podcast it was shot at a school five blocks from where terry and i went to college concordia r.i.p Concordia RIP, which officially was uh, bought this week by University of Oregon. It's now going to be known as the U of O Portland campus. So nice. And shout out for Gus Van Sant for for shooting in Portland. Great, great Northwest director. Uh, you know, my uh, uh, drugstore cowboy was in Portland. My own private Idaho, I believe, was set in Portland. Paranoid Park. Paranoid Park was set in Portland. Um, not Jerry, because Jerry takes place in the desert, but could have been set in Portland, maybe. Yeah, first scene of Elephant, like they're driving down Ainsworth. Like I know right. exactly where they were. So, right. yeah, it, it, it's pretty, pretty cool. I used to All jog right. on that track that they go on where, uh, you know, you know the, the, the girl is there and the jock is there. We played football yeah. there. We did. Lots of injuries in that football game. I remember. Yeah, Irving Fryer jersey, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So, our Mount Rushmore of Gus Van Sant, uh, Goodwill Hunting, Milk. Drugstore Cowboy and Elephant. Now, what's interesting is we could also make a Mount Rushmore of terrible Gus Van Sant movies because he's made some really bad ones, most notably the Psycho remake and even Cowgirls Get the Blues. But in a way, like, isn't that kind of the, the trademark of a really talented director who just sometimes does spectacularly bad movies? And I'm not referring to Judd Apatow. I'm talking about Gus Van Sant. Well, his worst movie is definitely The Sea of Trees. Yeah, that too. But yeah, I mean, well, he I definitely does have his stinkers. All right. Well, let's move on to recasting. And uh, this is one where we have uh, we haven't done a deep dive of this before, but we did do a recasting back in the early days of the podcast. Um, Todd, did you happen to find out what episode that was that we did the recasting? I, I didn't look it up. You didn't look it up. I should have looked it up. Maybe I'll try and find it. But we did a recasting of this before. So Todd had the idea. Let's do something a little different. And let's do a recasting of this uh, in 1987. So if this was made 10 years earlier, uh, who would have been starring in Goodwill Hunting? Uh, we did a recasting of Goodwill Hunting originally in episode eight. 
of the Almost Sideways podcast. We're on episode 181. And um, if you think we remember who we recast in that episode, you I told are you. I told you wrong. what you recast, Zach. I remember that. It, a Moonlight recasting? I mean, I do think this movie is very white. I, I'm I not just, surprised that I would have done that, but I don't remember at all who I recasted. I just found it. By, I found mine, and it's horrible. <laughs> I said I said Will Hunting should be played by Josh Hutcherson. Oh, <laughs> and Ben Ouch. and uh, and Ben Affleck's character would be Dylan O'Brien, who I've tried to recast a lot in different things. Um, At least we didn't uh, say Ansel Elgort, right? This was the one where I said Sean should be Matthew Perry and Lambo should be David Schwimmer. Oh my God! Well, that's on you, man. That's not a wow. that's not a five years ago thing. That's just I said. I said uh, Skyler would be Emma Watson. Oh my. Um. And it would be directed by Matt Damon, or no, I would directed by Ben Affleck, written by Kenneth Lonergan. Um, I said the apples guy would be Glenn Powell, so <laughs> Top Gun Maverick right there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I would have to go back and listen. I don't have record of that. It was on a different computer. But... Yeah, I I need to, and that one still hasn't been re-uploaded yet to the since we uh, transitioned the podcast. But I'll try and get to that this week to get it up there. We're almost got all the episodes back up and running. Anyways, 1987 recasting. We're just gonna recast the the main five of uh of Will, Chuck, Sean, Skyler, Clark. Gerald. We can do Clark. I didn't write a Clark down. I'll, I'll stick with Glenn Powell though. Uh, no, it's 1987. I can't stick with Glenn Powell. I'll figure <laughs> that out as we go along. Oh, I know exactly who I'm gonna say for it. All right. Um, so start with Will Hunting, played by Matt Damon. If this was 1987, Zach, who would be uh who would be Will? No, well, I really wanted to go with a black actor, but if they're not going to cast a black actor in 97, they sure as hell weren't going to do it in 87. So I guess I'll just stick with a very Caucasian cast here, unfortunately. Um, a lot of actors you could choose from. This was definitely the height of the Brat Pack. That was my first kind of instinct. Um, but I thought one of the most important features of the Will character is that you, you have to believe that he would get in a fight and get arrested and have a, a track record longer than, uh, you know what, uh, so um, I went with someone who was charming and maybe got into scruffles, scuffles, but also uh, maybe maybe possessed a sort of false uh, toughness to him. And that was Michael J. Fox, because, you know, Michael J. Fox, y- you could see him as sort of, you know, like a, a, a tougher type, but posturing. Right. And, um, you know, I, I know this wouldn't have been necessarily his breakout movie, but. I think he possesses a charm and likability that I think is is very significant for for Will. And I know Todd's shaking his head. Let, let, let's hear, hear your side. This was this was actually kind of tough, I thought. But uh, you know, do worse than Michael J. Fox. He's never gonna he's never gonna attack somebody in the park. I think, think he small. would. I, I think it makes him endearing. And and. I mean, yeah, you could go, you could go the, you know, the, the the tougher route. You could go Matt Dillon. I mean, I was thinking about Matt Dillon, but I don't think Matt Dillon's way more of a Chucky. Matt Dillon's way more of a. No, D- Dillon is Clark. Like, like his voice even sounds like Dillon. Is that your Clark recasting officially? Yeah, well, I have two, I have two written down, okay. but Dillon is definitely the one that he's he's definitely going for a Dillon. He does he does sound a lot like Dillon. I agree. I would still have a degree. You know, it's it's totally Matt Dillon. Your kids right. would be serving. My kids I, No, I, I like I like Matt Dillon more for Frankie than uh, Chucky. You mean? Chucky, sorry, Chucky. That's what I meant. Todd, who do you have for Will? Uh, well, I have two written down. They're definitely two at the height of like they were at their rise in '87. Uh, one of which is uh, 
Eric Stoltz, that this totally would have been that, that kind of role that he would have had. Uh, but the other, the one that I think fits most is Robert Downey Jr. This is when, when he had uh, less than zero come out. It's, it's one of those kind of characters that he would have played. That's like complicated. You don't really know what's going on behind, behind, uh, behind the, the mystique that he's putting off. And, uh, and he definitely could spit out all those words in a way that would make him very likable, like uh, like Matt, Del- Matt Damon is. So, yeah, Downey is my pick, but Eric Stoltz getting with the uh, with the uh, honorable mention, I guess. It's funny that you say Eric Stoltz when uh, Eric Stoltz was replaced by Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future. And it's ironic. Here we go. Well, Downey's uh, got, Downey's not a bad pick. I his Boston yeah, accent. His Boston accent would have been interesting, but that's not a bad pick. That's not bad. Well, Robin Williams uh, has no Boston accent, so right. It, it, it slips out every now and then. Uh, my my pick for Will is Sean Penn. Um, I mean that's easy. That would be perfect, obviously. Yeah, I, I think it, it was it was the right time. I mean, he had just what five years earlier. He had Fast Times. He was on the rise. He he kind of was a thing at that point. It would have been a it would have been a perfect role for him at that time. So. I'm going Sean Penn. Now, I did have a black Will Hunting recasting. I had two options. A very young Chris Rock or a very young Cuba Gooding Jr. I probably like Cuba a little bit more. Were they old enough? Yeah, I definitely looked up the... the, I I made sure they were at least 20. Because that's how old Will is in the movie. Like, even though even though Ben Affle- or Matt Damon is 27 when this movie was made. Well, right. Well, that's because the movie took so long to make, right? And they were even oh, kind of talking about, yeah. you know, they wrote the script, I think, in 93 or so. I actually thought about Ray Liotta, but but he was like 35 when this movie went in 1987. So, but he would have been interesting. Had it, it, the 77 cast, maybe. There we go. All right. Well, what about Chucky? Ben Affleck? Zach? Okay, uh, for Chucky, I wrote down Nicolas Cage. I mean, we're going we're going off of the '80s Nicolas Cage. This would have been the same year as Moonstruck. Um, I agree, Matt Dillon as Chucky would have been interesting. But if we're going for star power and interest, uh, I think we got to go Cage because who knows what would he what what he would have brought to the role. I mean, it would have been fascinating to watch, and it's the kind of role that he got in the '80s. You know, like. Uh, like the the birdie movie and uh you know it, it wasn't always the lead it wasn't the lead character he was the sidekick in a lot of movies so it would have fit that sort of mantra better i'll go next because i have cage written down too nice um especially i was thinking because you got damon and affleck like they were good friends Penn and cage coming from fast times starring together in goodwill hunting i thought it fit and i thought he it, of anybody in this cast he's a chucky so yeah uh, I wrote him down. Uh, that was the only thing I wrote down for who Cage would play was 1987 Chucky. But <laughs> my my real choice for Chucky is I I mean I, I think it, it's perfect as Rob Lowe. It, it is at the it, the perfect height of Rob Lowe becoming a star, and I like his mannerisms and everything just just like ooze like Chucky, even though he's an he's an L.A. guy, not a Boston guy, right? But I mean, either way, so I, I think Rob Lowe in, embodies Chucky. Robert Downey Jr. and Rob Lowe. That'd be interesting. All right. Well, let's do uh, let's do Skyler next. Mini Driver. Uh, Zach, who'd be Skyler? There's only three choices because I looked up British women from the 80s and not a lot of options <laughs> here. 
By the way, and maybe Terry, you'll appreciate this. I did think about recasting this as people from the Up series, although I think they would have been a little old. I think Tony would have perfectly fit any role in this movie, except for maybe Will. But he could have been he could have been any role anyway. And none of the none of the women from the Up series would have worked. Uh, but um, uh, the three options I had, and I'd be shocked if you guys didn't mention these two. I went Emma Thompson, Helena Bonham Carter, and Judy Davis. Uh, Emma Thompson, I think, might have been a little old by that point. I think she was in her late twenties. Yeah. I'll go Judy Davis because she has that. I think she's a brunette. I I believe she's Australian actually, and uh, she uh, kind of has that sharp wit that Minnie Driver has, uh, and she could definitely tell that joke probably better than, well, I think Emma Thompson could have told that joke too, but I'll go Judy Davis. Helena Bonham Carter couldn't have told that joke, at least not in 1987. I don't know. I think she could have. Todd, who do you got? Well, I don't necessarily think she has to be a Brit. Uh, I mean, she's got like Union Jacks up in her in her room and stuff, but I, I don't think she necessarily has to be Irish or British. But I, I went with Mary Stuart Masterson. That's it's another of uh, the rising stars of those kind of high school movies. I, I think this would be a an elevation of her talents that um, that she didn't get to show too much in like the John Hughes kind of movies. Judy Davis would have been thirty-two. I think she's probably too old. I'll go. I'll go Emma Thompson. I'll. I'll, I'll... Uh, all right. So my, my pick is I, I went with somebody else that was around the right age. It stretched it a little bit because she started acting in 1987, but, um, Elizabeth Hurley was, would have been a really interesting Ew, one. Vanessa. She was like, she was <laughs> exactly. She was, she was like, she was mid twenties around that time so right age control yourself but again she just started like she was in like a tv episode in 87 the other one i was thinking of but she didn't start acting for like another four or five years was monica bellucci but um oh monica bellucci as a as a a pre-med student at harvard (laughs) (laughs) i mean elizabeth hurley you could believe you know she's a nerd with glasses baby yeah but like Monica Bellucci, <laughs> I yeah, I'm I I'm I'm selling that. I love how your only reference to Elizabeth Hurley is that Austin is, Powers. That's my only reference. To <laughs> All right. Uh Sean, played by Robin Williams. Zach, what do you have? All right, now now the fun starts. This this was the most interesting casting. Now I think the most realistic actor who would have been cast would have been gene hackman which is maybe todd's pick that's such a boring pick so i came up with two actors who i thought were really interesting but in completely different ways first actor one of the great drunks of all time oliver reed i think he possesses the same sort of like build as robin williams when he talks about you know yes i I lift 285 pounds that's something that oliver reed would have said um, and by the way, you guys should watch Oliver Reed on the David Letterman show in the 80s. A great YouTube clip. And um, the other one that I think I'm actually going to go with, because this guy, like Robin Williams, came from the world of comedy, came from TV, and actually played a therapist in another movie I really like, is Danny DeVito. D- Danny DeVito also played the therapist in uh, The Virgin Suicides. 
Uh, he had bushy eyebrows in that movie. Now, I do admit that a Michael J. Fox, Danny DeVito hug would have been very low to the ground, which is why they're <laughs> complimentary with each other. That's why I think Danny DeVito is my pick. Oh, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. All right, Todd, what do you got? Um, I have a, a, a similar actor to Robin Williams, I guess, is uh, Albert Brooks. This is the, the year he had broadcast news. I think I think that kind of thing would just come effortlessly to him where he could be subtle, but he also has the, the couple moments of explosion. <laughs> Albert Brooks absolutely could nail this role. I would never want to hug Albert Brooks. <laughs> or grab him or grab his ass either but i i i don't know i i think he's a little too prickly william I hurt could, maybe for going the broadcast news route but i could see albert brooks work, working so for mine i was thinking about the idea of someone who is used to comedy and and what kind of the how the comedy would per, would portray in this uh i went with alan alda as Sean. I think he would work. I think he'd work really well. He has the 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 presence and the persona to be able to pull off Sean. Who yeah, he that? does sort of have that like community college like <laughs> instructor <laughs> vibe to him in a exactly, lot of things. Exactly. Exactly. I missed it. Who do you say, Terry? Alan Alda. Oh, okay. Alan Alda. Well, you have to have Bill Hader's impersonation of Alan Alda, really. <laughs> It's a it's a Bill Hader has an amazing impersonation of Alan Alda for sure. All right, next we have uh, Gerald Lambeau, played by Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, Zach, this was also fun. Um, you know, you could go the European route. Max von Sydow was coming off, right off of uh, Hannah and Her Sisters. He's my favorite character in that movie. Is Frederick the Angry Artist? A lot of similar qualities to Jerry Lambeau. Uh, the difference being right brain, left brain. Um, I also thought about uh, John Lithgow. Uh, I think he was a little young at this point, but you know he kind of played that character in This Is 40. It's also kind of interesting. And Albert Brooks was also in that movie. But the one I went with, which is obvious, because in the 80s, uh, he was a European uh, doing something in the world that was interesting, is none other than uh, Peter Simonischek. Now, he would have had to learn English, but Stellan Skarsgård's English is you know, questionable, maybe a Fields Medal winner from... Uh, Germany, a uh, very realistic, uh, Stellan, uh, uh, not maybe the, the, the tenor of Stellan Sarsgaard, but Peter Simonischek for sure with the fake teeth. God, I can't, what, I can't even remember. What was the movie he was in? I've now done this shtick for so long. What was it? Tony Erdman. Tony Erdman. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for Gerald, uh, I will say originally I had these two actors flipped for my Sean and my Gerald. And I realized that I had them in the wrong spots, but I still think they could do both roles. My Gerald, uh, I have John Voight. Uh, oh, that's, that's it, really good. It's, he's got that sort of like elitist quality to how he carries himself. And he's sort of an asshole. But I also think that in the quieter scenes, he could have been Sean. So I originally had him flipped. I, I think Albert Brooks could easily be Gerald too, but, uh, I think John Foyt would be a fascinating Gerald. That's a great pick. Although I think he might have been a little young. Like I say John Voigt like 97 as Lambo. But that's a that's yeah. a really good pick though. I, I have respect for that. John Voigt would have been 49 in 1987, and 
That's about right. Uh, Skarsgård was 46. That's I just really long. like 97 John Voight because he was in Anaconda. That's the John Voight I know and love. I like 1980s John Voight because he was in Runaway Train. That's well, 96, true. 96 John Voight was in uh, Mission Impossible, so. And 2020 yeah, that, that definitely John seems too old. his f***ing mind. All right, sorry. <laughs> All right, uh, my pick. So I, I was thinking about who would play well with Alan Alda. And so if you're trying to find someone to play well with Alan Alda as Sean, then Gerald has to be the other guy who's played Hawkeye Pierce, and that's Donald Sutherland. Oh. That's pretty good. Isn't I that good? I tried to stay away from all ordinary people cast uh, in the 87 <laughs> version. It's the only one I have. It's the only one yeah, I have. And I had it not because Tim, of Timothy Hutton in there or anything. I, mean. I didn't have it because of ordinary people. I had it because they both played Hawkeye. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go with Trapper John MD, but okay. I thought about Hawkeye. that. I thought about that, but I went with I went Donald Sutherland. He, he fits better. No, if it was going to be someone from MASH, it was going to be Frank. Frank would have been Actually, Frank would have been a good Lambo. What about Elliot Gould with like his chest hair hanging out? Like, what about like Ocean's Eleven Elliot Gould as Jerry Lambo? <laughs> that would have been that would have been interesting for sure. I got some furniture I want to send you. Cosmo's gonna give you a call. Give him a call back. <laughs> that hideous monstrosity of a casino. I'm sorry. We're off top, <laughs> off track. Uh, all right, last one, Clark. Zach, who's Clark? Oh, this was easy for me. This was Rob Lowe. Because, listen, I mean, <laughs> this was a year before the infamous Snow White Rob Lowe event at the Oscars. He was just a guy that you'd want to punch of all the Brat Pack. It's, that's easy. By the way, I'm surprised none of us went with John Cusack as Will. Was that, did that enter your uh, radar I at didn't all? even consider it. Okay, that would have been interesting because this movie has a little bit of parallels with Say Anything. I mean, like the last five minutes of this movie is basically (laughs) the last five minutes of Say Anything. I I think Cusack also could have been in a fist fight and and it would have been believable. If if Clark was Rob Lowe, then he would have grown up to be... Tommy's stepbrother and Tommy boy. Yeah, I mean, every every performance that Rob Lowe has ever given is someone that you want to punch. But can we create an award called the Rob Lowe character that you want to punch? Like, like the like Shailene Woodley's boyfriend in The Descendants. Like, that is a Rob Lowe <laughs> character you want to punch. This would have been a perfect think, for our cold cock power rankings a few months ago. I think we, I think we need to add that in. Character yeah. you want to punch. I like it. That is sort of douchebag. It, I mean, it sort of is. A little bit. But all right, Todd. I think you already said yours, right? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, Matt Dillon. Uh, I mean, he's definitely doing a Matt Dillon thing, but. Uh, my other one was James Spader. Like he he has that that just like ultra asshole quality to just walk into a, a bar and start like spouting off some random passages. But then we so the James Spader would work for the Monica Bellucci cast because then it would turn into an erotic drama directed by Adrian Lyne. <laughs> I, really, I think I have three actors from Less Than Zero in this cast. By the way, <laughs> I didn't I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> All right, so so my pick for Clark is uh, is Bill Fagerbach, um, who uh, and the only reason I'm picking him one he's about around the right age too. I think he looks like the guy who ends up playing Clark. If you don't know who that is, he he played the assistant coach in Coach, um, and uh, okay. he he's the uh, he plays Marshall's dad in How I Met Your Mother. 
he's been in a ton of stuff. Apparently, the main thing he's known for now is he's the voice of Patrick and SpongeBob. But um, <laughs> it, yeah, if you look him up, he looks like Clark, and he would like now he looks like what Clark's dad would look like. But if you go back thirty-five years, he would have looked just like the guy who played Clark. So I didn't know until we were doing like preparing for this that the guy Scott Williams Winters plays Clark. His brother is the uh the Allstate guy, Dean Winters, the guy who's like always like um oh the mayhem guy? Yeah. That's his brother. And oh. they, they, you could totally see see it in the in their face like they yes, are almost the same actor. Wow. This is going to get tens and tens of views. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was, I was having trouble about to describe him, but yeah, you took it. Yeah, you're the mayhem guy. <laughs> the mayhem guy. I was also thinking about some actors from Leon the Jewish Farmer, the pig farmer. Like, <laughs> maybe his girlfriend could have been Skylar. I didn't actually bother looking it up, but let's get, the, let's get Leon the pig farmer as Will. A British Will. <laughs> that was the best come to the stable we've ever done. Because someone was in incorrectly credited. Someone's, no, someone's brother mean. was incorrectly, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it, <laughs> it was, wasn't even someone. It was, it was the brother of the Whitaker. brother. Yeah, the, the brother Forrest of Forrest Whitaker's uh, brother yeah. <laughs> from Fast Times was incorrectly credited on IMDb of being in, in that movie. All right, well, we've kind of already talked about who Nicolas Cage would play, so let's move on to highest war performance. And the highest war goes to who, Todd? I, this is a hard one. Uh, these actors uh, have be- like become so synonymous with their characters in my in my mind. I, I mean, I, I want to say Matt Damon. Like, he... I mean, he obviously originated this role. He wrote this role... You can see every bit of Matt Damon coming out in that character, and I, I think it's a brilliant performance. I think he should have won Best Actor that year, and it's hard to think of another person in the '90s that could have that could have done it quite the same way, with, with the same passion and with the same just flair that that Damon does his thing. So I, I guess I'll go with him. All right, uh, I'll go next. I'm going Robin Williams. Um... Damn which it, is a weird one. Stole my line. Son of a bitch stole my line. Stole my trick. It, it's a weird one because like we we came up with some really great options of who could have played him in the past and played this character. But at the same time, he it, the reason we can come up with those is because he created such a a unique persona around this character and grounded him in such a way that it became extremely relatable. And I don't know if that happens if you don't have someone like Robin Williams at the heart of it. So, so that's my pick. Zach, sounds like that was your pick. It was my pick. Now I'm lost in a sea of actors that I didn't notice as much. I guess I'll go Ben Affleck. I mean, why not? Like I, I guess upon this rewatch, I was, I guess I, I could say I was most impressed by Ben Affleck's performance because, uh, you know, I mean, on the one hand, he's like very stupid. And, you know, he says, oh, we took uh, history together. I mean, that's funny. It's believable. <laughs> it's not O'Banion, which is nice. There's no shred of O'Banion in that performance, even though he's beating kids up and goes to Little League games. Um, but 
uh, I gotta say, like when he gives that speech at the end, best part of my day. I mean, good, good scene, and I really like the way that his voice inflects and his eyes kind of look when he says it would be an insult if uh, if you were still here in twenty years. Like that was a really good moment. So I, obviously, all these all these uh, cast members are great, but I I was actually pretty impressed by Ben Affleck. I, I don't know if it's highest war, but it's a really good performance. I feel like the accent fits him the best of everyone in the cast. Like, like his like settles in the best. It's a Ben Affleck that I kind of miss, you know, it was the Ben Affleck before he was, uh, before he was Ben Affleck. (laughs) Um, and before he became an alcoholic basketball coach. Before anybody gave him a retainer. Before he went to (laughs) Iran on a mission to take back the American hostages. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I got nothing else. I mean, that was a good performance, though. So that was a good performance. All right. Are about... you talking about Triple Frontier? What... Yes, I'm talking about Triple Here Frontier. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Now, time for the uh, Bill Paxton Memorial Worst Performance Award. And uh, that goes to, uh, I'm going to go first here. And I'm, I'm finding it here. I'm finding the name here. Uh, I'm giving it to George Plimpton as a psychologist terrible terrible pick um great i i mean he's great in his in his uh in his saying of shenanigans tomfoolery or or ballyhoo um but uh (laughs) he's he's horrible i mean he's oh oh yes 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 oh yeah yeah uh oh i can't do this pro bono work or no, it, well, I he, love it when he's reacting. He's like, he's like, what oh, are you talking about? He's oh, doing like a ju- like a Jack Lemmon and Glengarry impression. <laughs> what? <laughs> but but in this voice down here, and it, it, yeah, it, it's it's weird. It's weird. He didn't quite fit. I was going to pick him for highest war, but you guys were going to give me shit. <laughs> like, here's the thing: Do you guys know about George Plimpton? Like, I I don't know if it's actually a performance. He's kind of playing himself. Like he was, you know, this highfalutin journalist for Paris Review and he wrote Paper Lied and he did kind of this participatory journalism thing. He's on the Ken Burns baseball and he's basically that is his persona in real life. So I don't know if it's a performance, but it's definitely high war. And and shame on you, Terry. That's a great, great performance. That role should have been played by the guy from the Nobel Prize in A Beautiful Mind. Well, <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about authenticity, no one beats uh, Austin Butler. Or uh, Austin uh, Austin Pemberton and Austin <laughs> Butler. All right, Zach, who do you got? Uh, worst performance in this movie. Uh, n- not a lot of bad performances. Uh, hold on, let me look at the cast list here. Uh, uh, I think I'm gonna go with. Oh boy, I, I lost my list here. Um, let's go with the Barbershop Quartet. <laughs> Pretty bad singers. I think you could do a lot better. I, I actually wrote that down in my notes. What is this barbershop quartet crap? I mean, they're at a reunion. This means that they this is probably the biggest gig they're gonna get. It's like Kevin, Kevin Scrantonicity band. You know, this is Pam's wedding's about the only one we're gonna get. That's about the only gig that they're gonna get, and they sucked. So I'm going them as the worst performance. Maybe just the worst band. Don't you think we could, manly men could have done better, Terry? You, me. Oh, absolutely. Better the manly men could have done better. We should have been but... at that reunion, and we would have killed it. <laughs> we would have gotten um, all the ladies, all the ladies bouncing. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, a combination of the manly men and Cooper Rafe, and that would have been quite the party. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hmm. 
Now we're talking. All right. Uh, Todd. I mean, I was going to say George Plumpton as well, but uh, my <laughs> my backup was uh, was Casey, Casey Affleck. It's, I don't know. I just don't know what he's doing. Like, I mean, I don't know how, how, much, how many drugs he was on at this time, but like half the lines, you can't even understand what he's saying. He just is like, well, in that case, this, it's like, a regular Casey Affleck performance. But he's just like <laughs> writing in a, in a tone that I don't even really understand. Like, I can't really tap into whatever frequency he's <laughs> he's in. Uh, it is a weird performance, and he his line delivery is all over the place. I, I don't know if he's necessarily bad. It's just uh, it, it's it's off. But I could see why he's buddies with the, with the rest of the group. Uh, yeah, his brother wrote the movie. That's why he's buddies with the rest of the group. <laughs> True. Uh, all right, amazing Larry, big Tim, high roller, minor character. The film award goes to who, Zach? Well, I was going to say, obviously, George Plimpton. Uh, clearly the most interesting character. But no, I would... There's one that you're absolutely going to say otherwise. Come on. Okay. We, we, we both know. Just go with it. The judge? No. Oh, I was going to say the judge. But who were you going to say? No, you're, you're going to say Hervé. Who's Hervé? <laughs> okay, never mind then. I, okay, well, I, I was going to say the judge because apparently in real life, the judge was a member of the Whitey Bulger gang. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And I like his hair. I like his style. Now, listen, if we're talking about 1997 movie judges, he's second to Sid Haig's judge in Jackie Brown, who didn't have any hair. But uh, I really do like, I like the judge. And I like that he did. he's the only one in the movie other than Robin Williams who doesn't put up with Matt Damon's crap. He's like, you may have gotten with this away with this before, but you assaulted an officer, $50,000, no bail. That's a nice <laughs> you moment. How do you like them apples, Willie? Going to jail. Still calling Skylar from jail is kind of a nice stick man move, but that's another category. Who's the who's who's Herve? I want to know. That's more the about Harmony Corrine character that that he he knows from Juvie that flashes his belly to him when he's on the phone in the jail. That's totally a Zach like. Favorite minor character I don't, role. I don't remember that part. Like, oh, Hervé. Yeah, I remember you from Juvie. <laughs> I love I'll how he's on that. the phone with her while while he's <laughs> saying, and he she could totally hear him. Yeah. How do you not remember Korean. that character? I had <laughs> I've never in my Harmony twenty Korean plus was... years of watching this movie. I did I did not know Harmony Korine was in it. That is awesome. <laughs> That, yeah, I, 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 I wrote that down, but I was like, oh, that's obviously Zach. Pick. I, I, would have, I don't remember that scene. I don't remember that character. I when he's on the phone from the jail movie. calling Skylar. I, I know I'm just familiar mentioned. with this. I'm familiar with the scene. And then, then, then the person comes that. up and is like, Will, that. and he, he like pulls up his shirt and he's like, oh, yeah, Hervé. <laughs> also, Harmony Corrine, like Oliver Reed, great YouTube Letterman clips. Watch those. Along with the scenes from this movie on YouTube. Okay, I'll I'll rewatch it. I'll rewatch right. that scene. Todd, what's your minor character? Uh, I mean, I have I have a few written down. Uh, well, I mean, obviously McNamara, he's got a future in Little League. I mean, he's obviously great. He's a great player. You know, get two, get two. He's gonna. Uh, but I mean, this um, was sound Little League scenes, right? Compared absolutely. to the Black Phone. I mean, I couldn't help absolutely. but think about that. Were we going to assess the Little League strategy in this movie? I'm sorry. But <laughs> the one I want to go with is is Marty Hayes. Uh, who's uh i think in the credits he's not even credited as that he's an assistant custodian uh because he just sits there and his, his boss is like he's like 
who do you do you know who this is? This is Professor Lambo. He's like, this is Professor Hayes. And then he looks like the, the character in Cuckoo's Nest, who's just like, Yep, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> uh, I don't know. And his his boss is just talking shit to Lambo and, and Tom. Uh during that scene, he's just sitting there and he's and he's just laughing. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> so, Mar- so Marty that, Hayes. <laughs> nice. That reminds me of I, I just saw on Twitter today someone posted uh, a clip of the uh of jack nicholson winning the bafta for best actor for chinatown and he sent in a clip of his acceptance speech from the set of one flew over the cuckoo's nest and so and so he's like accepting the award and then all of a sudden you see like danny devito and christopher lloyd and the whole cast just like crowding up behind him just like what's going on hey and like like danny devito's standing there and and just like "Mm," and then he like picks something up and puts it in his mouth (laughs) and then and then nurse ratchet comes along is like Mr. Nicholson has to come with me now. And th- like that was his acceptance speech. It was brilliant. I should send it to you guys. That's awesome. I um, got a my... couple things to say about that. First of all, Nurse Ratchet in real life was a coda. Did you guys know that? She no. signed, uh, her parents were both deaf. It would have been a more interesting movie than the Best Picture winner. You got <laughs> have you guys seen the Screen Actors Guild when uh Nicholson and Day Lewis tied and Robin Williams was the odd man out? No. From 2002. Oh my God. Okay. Well, it's the greatest non Goodwill hunting Robin Williams clip. I'll send that to you. Literally, it is 10 minutes of ad libbing. Robin Williams just throwing shit at Jack Nicholson and Daniel Day Lewis. And, and, and it's, it's amazing. Oh, and then the other thing I was going to say How do you like them apples? comes from Chinatown. Oh. oh. Apparently, it's spoken somewhere in Chinatown. Was Robin Williams was nominated in 2002. Is that what you're saying? Yes, for uh, for one hour photo. I believe it was the Screen Actors um, Guild. One of those award shows. It was one of those off-brand award shows. I think I know what you're talking about. When they went to it, and Nicholson's clearly smashed, and Day-Lewis does not want to be there, <clears throat> and Robin Williams just gets up on stage and hijacks the whole thing. It is utterly hilarious. I think I know what you're talking about. All right, well, getting back to Goodwill Sorry. Hunting. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, I, that's I, it's my fault. I, I was the one that took us down that rabbit hole. Uh, my my pick for minor character is uh, is Philip Williams, who's the head custodian. Yeah, I thought about <laughs> it. That's a good one. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 he he's he's hilarious. I mean, that yeah. could that could have been a movie about him. That's a good it, character. It total totally could have been. Yeah. Um. All right. Moving on. Uh, Spider Stickman, Billy Bat's douchebag. Uh, Todd, you're first. Uh. For Stickman, I don't think there are a lot of great options. Uh, I guess I'll go with Sean because Sean has the uh, he has the story about how he met his wife. You know, he has the line, "I got to go see about a girl." I mean, to just come up with that on the spot is pretty pretty brilliant. And uh, he, I mean, he didn't know Pudge was going to hit home run, but he uh, he got the girl. Uh, douchebag. There's a lot of douchebags. Uh, I'm going to say Vinny. V- Vinny is a student in Sean's class, and he just is like, oh, trust. That. Trust is life. That's very deep, Vinny. Thank you. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that is the, the like douchiest line from somebody who clearly wasn't paying attention in class for the whole quarter, probably. So Vinny's, Vinny's a douche. Well played. Well played. You guys notice that community college classroom? It was full of people and some very old people in it. Oh, there too. were, yeah. Like probably mid late 40s in there so my my stick man and douchebag are one in the same they're both clark 
Like, I, I, th- I think we should rename Douchebag the Clark Billy Bats Douchebag. Yeah. Because I think he belongs in, in there. He's also the one that you'd want to punch. So. So I looked up this actor that plays Clark. And not only is he the brother of the Allstate guy, but his only other credit on IMDb is he in the People versus Larry Flint, he plays a character called Blow Dry Jerk. So <laughs> that's about as douchebag as you get right there. <laughs> uh, he was in an episode of Bull. I think we need to come to stable it. And and some <laughs> and some NCIS. Interesting. The new stuff that nobody watches anymore. Or all the old people still watch, but I don't watch it anymore. Zach. Stickman and douchebag. I only had two choices for Stickman. Uh, one of them was Carmine Scarpaglia. But again, if it, if you're going off quantity and not quality, then he's your man. But, you know. Uh, and I also went with uh, the Professor Jerry Lambeau. I mean, I don't know if he's actually a stick man, but like probably a dirty, creepy old professor stick man. And that, he that totally chick, plays himself that way. That chick looks like she's into it. I mean, she is into that orgasmic metaphor for solving a math equation. She is like bright eyed. She is like 100% into him. Uh, and he's not afraid to make the move because he's even talking to that other girl and is like, uh, hey, want to go get a drink with me? Uh, he would rather go get a drink than see who solved the math equation, you know? Um, I think when all those people come to his class, he sees it as a hunting ground for, for fresh meat. Uh, a goodwill hunting ground? Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, he's uh, he's certainly Harvey Weinstein's favorite character in this movie. So I think I think Lambeau uh, is, is I, I don't know, you know, I don't know how successful he is, but, uh, you know, points for trying, I guess. And could we call it a creepy professor award the jerry lambo creepy professor award well i mean you oh. also have professor valenti who is apparently is yeah he you know, calls skyler, in the middle of the skyler yeah and is he mpa president jack valenti <laughs> maybe he's a, he's an emeritus professor at mit lecturing on copyright law I think the PR guy from NASA. I think the PR guy for NASA in Apollo 13 and uh, Professor Lambeau belong in the same category. Were there any Apollo 13 cast members in this movie? Because I saw shockingly none. I don't think so. Which That's is impressive. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's amazing that Bill Paxton wasn't in this movie. So who is Carmine Scarpaglia? I can't figure out who this is. Really, this is your movie man uh it's the it, he's the guy in southie that they go that uh is with the girl at the little league game oh the guy oh the guy that beat, beat him up in, will, kinder, kindergarten. in kindergarten yeah exactly oh. yeah. i guess i didn't catch the name and, and if, in case you didn't get it he's italian i, I know it's subtle <laughs> but i believe carmine Spar- start scarpaglia is italian all right did you say douchebag did i say douchebag i'll go with jerry lambo for that one too since you you double dip with clark all right, best scene. And now we're talking. This is yeah. this is the twenty-seven Yankees or twenty-two Yankees of great movie scenes. It's so hard, like Zach, like you said. There's so many great scenes, and I loved how you just could like name a line, and it and it gives you the scene just instantly. Um, but watching this one, the scene that really stood out to me is uh, the scene right before the It's Not Your Fault scene. And it's the, the confrontation between, uh, between Sean and Gerald in Sean's office about, uh, about Will and, um, and how 
Lambo can't get pa- can't get out of his head that everything isn't about him and everything isn't about the rivalry that he has created in his head. And Sean literally just has the best intentions for Will at heart. And that's all he's and and that just that whole exchange there is is brilliant. And it's such great writing. It's such great performances from the two of them. And they both play their parts perfectly there. That was a scene that really stood out to me above above all the iconic scenes. So that's the one I'm going to go with. That's insane that you would pick that scene, but okay. Like that to me is like maybe the the 17th best scene in the movie, but okay. It's it, a great it, scene. It's the one, it's the one that, that surprised me that I hadn't, that I didn't remember off the top. I of my didn't head. remember it either too, for a reason. So, uh, all right, Zach, what do you have then? Oh, I mean, okay. I mean, to be fair, it's that is a good scene, and it's hard to choose a bad scene in this movie. I, I'm going to go with uh, the swan scene, the scene at the park. Uh, apparently, stop staring at me, Swan. <laughs> yes, that's the that's the scene I'm referring to. Uh, this is the scene, in other words, that won Robin Williams his Oscar. It's a long, very, very long monologue. And uh, Matt Damon doesn't say a thing. Now, is it super realistic that asshole pretentious? By the way, how come Will Hunting wasn't a douchebag nominee? Uh, is it is it entirely believable that Will wouldn't have interjected during one of those things and been like, yeah, yeah, I read, I went Oliver Twist, yeah, well, you don't know this. Uh, no, probably not. But it's a great movie moment, and the camera just is really slow as it moves around Robin Williams. I love how he says, you know, I thought about, I, I couldn't get to sleep, and then I realized something, and I haven't thought about you all week. Uh, it's a great monologue. It's almost what Tarantino says about, I believe he said it about his, the Dennis Hopper monologue in, uh, 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 you know, the um, the one with Alabama. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm losing track here. True Romance. True Romance, thank you. He said that that scene was so good that it might have, pe- the movie might have peaked there. And I think that's true of Goodwill Hunting, that scene with, with Sean. That is such a good scene and such a good monologue that the movie peaks. And, it, and it's sort of at maybe the one-third mark. And it never quite reaches that potential. Like, I'm watching that scene thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be a great movie with some great scenes and great. And it never quite delivers the promise of that scene. I'm sure for Todd it does, which is cool. But... Uh, so for me, that that seems almost in a way almost a disappointment, but it's a great scene, and it's probably the scene that I would YouTube the most out of this movie. Todd, yeah, I wrote down like eight scenes, but uh, I mean the, the the scene in the bar is just, I mean, to me that's that's as classic as you get. Like you got Chucky trying to be all sly with Skyler, you know, and being like he just like goes and stands next to her, and then they, the the girls start laughing like that. That is totally an authentic thing because that's exactly what you would do. Like, oh, okay, but this guy's like hovering right there, and then you know you got Ben Affleck showing off, and then you got you know the the guy the Michael Bolton clone, you know um, the the line about you know God and Wood, you know the the whole the whole like Damon just kills it in that scene, and then at the end you get Casey Affleck, my boy's wicked smart. I mean, it's just the encapsulation of all those characters. You get to know everything about them, and it's a it's a scene I've seen like hundreds of times, and obviously parodied in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, Goodwill Hunting Two, Hunting Season, uh, which should have actually been a thing. If there was a sequel. Yeah, it's uh yeah. I mean, I guess that, I guess that's my my scene, but I mean, I, I could have said the, the the scene where he's talking about why he doesn't want to work for the NSA. You know, I mean, Chuck, the interview with Chucky. Standing in for Will, 
uh, obviously Chucky's monologue. It's uh, there's there's a million scenes that are just great, and the court scene. I love the court scene. <laughs> Him trying to pull precedent out of the 1780s. <laughs> <laughs> the, the horse and carriage thing to <laughs> why he stole a car. I mean, that's just it's just brilliant. Uh, all right. Do you guys have anything else for if there were a sequel besides Hunting Season? Well, Will and dogma. Juvie with Hervé, obviously. Oh, yeah, there yeah. you go. When they both die, it's dogma, because they both both become angels. It's the afterlife. <laughs> and what about, what does Adam think this movie's about? Oh, oh. I forgot about that one. Yeah, me too. I think, I think he thinks it's the original plot of the movie before it got changed, which was a thriller about a genius from Southie who gets recruited yeah. by... And stalked by the government to help with international affairs. <laughs> well, that was going to be one of my conspiracy theories, is that would this movie have been better had they stuck with the original second half of this movie? Like, no. <laughs> I feel like it could have been kind of interesting, but, you know, what do I know? It would, it would have been a, like a Jack Ryan movie or something. I think Adam thinks this movie is about abuse in the Boston orphanage system, a la... Uh, Spotlight, (laughs) and they uncover the abuses, Uh, and they file a lawsuit with the judge, but he gets sent to jail with a fifty thousand dollar bond. I I think uh, Adam thinks this is about uh, uh, an upscale hunting party that goes out, and uh, and um, (laughs) and 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 so. And and someone uh, and someone goes and and tries to help the animal that has been shot. It's like, what what are you doing? I'm. It's my goodwill. It's goodwill hunting. That's that. that. I love and it. As they as they look into the camera. <laughs> that, that's that's what he thinks it's about. He could think it's about apples too, or the seventy five <laughs> Red Sox. Uh. I mean, there's there's several baseball scenes in this movie, so that is true. <clears throat> All right, uh, flaws, conspiracy theories, anything, guys? A lot. A lot. Go for I it. I have Zach. a couple things. Okay, go Zach. Okay, uh, I actually wrote down. It would have been interesting to see this NSA storyline included because part of my problem with this movie is that it feels like it goes nowhere at times. It feels too inert. It feels like it's building up to something, but it never really does and in the original draft of the screenplay page 60 to 120 was uh matt and ben being chased by the nsa it would i would have liked i mean i don't know if it, i know it's kind of like a stephen king direction and probably should have been a mini series at that point but i'm just saying it would have been interesting um spike lee would have hated this movie both non no black people and boston as uh, spike lee would hate this would be his worst of 97 uh uh, how is there no scene of Will counting cards and cheating at stuff? Like, come on! I mean, they—they they obviously they go to the casinos and they and they have they you got to have a Rain Man scene in there somewhere. Well, he's One not thing, twenty-one. Uh, that's an interesting point. Okay, maybe. Well, they still should have some scene of him using his abilities to do more for nefarious things. work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think I think Skylar's blowjob joke is tasteless. I don't believe that she would actually say that joke. 
and I maybe one of my larger issues with the movie is that first of all, there's only one female character, and she, I, frankly, she's more interesting than any other character in the movie. Like, she's obviously like a Rhodes Scholar. She her father has died. She has this. Uh, she's torn because her father left her this money. She's in, she's in the United States for the first time. She's about to pursue this medical career. She's about to go across the country. Wow, much more interesting character than anyone else in this movie. And she's given like you know 13 minutes of screen time. It feels like. And the two things she does is tell a blowjob joke and cry. I mean, I I don't know. I like and her her supporting actress nomination to me is stunning. I, I don't know how, but she's good in the movie. I just I wanted more of her. I guess. Um, okay, a couple other things. Uh, there's no struggle in this movie. Like, Will is just a genius who solves things right away. I mean, at least John Nash had to struggle. You know, he was like in the library. You know, um, I, I do have respect for beer. There's no scene like that with Will, except for maybe the scene when he's first solving the problem in, in, in the bathroom with the mirror. And that gets me to a, another point, too, which is that... <clears throat> You know, Clark is this douchebag who will, uh, you know, absconds for uh, not absconds, but, you know, he, he criticizes for saying you, you rob obscure passages and pass them off as your own. Isn't that what Will does the whole freaking movie? I mean, he's, he's recalling obscure passages from English law in 1789 that he hopes no one will call him out on. Right. He's just better he, at it. He is a hypocrite. Now, you could make the argument that that's within his character is that he's a hypocrite. So I guess that's fine. I'm just saying it kind of demeans the scene a little bit to me because Will is no better than Clark. And then the last point I want to make, uh, the last conspiracy theory at the dog races. Now, let's think about this for a second. Circa 1996, 97 at the dog races. Who had to be there? Lo located not too far from the Mohegan Sun, the high roller was there that day. We know he was. Wayne Diamond was in attendance at that race that day, and he probably had a winning bet as well. Uh, that should have been in the deleted scene somewhere. Will Hunting had respect for beer. I'm just going to say that. He did have respect <laughs> for beer. That's true. That's a fair point. He just didn't struggle at all. It all came too easy. Wasn't another great scene. Another great scene that we forgot to mention is uh, is Will pitching to Chucky inside the batting cage. Well, that's <laughs> ha that's happened a few times, right? I mean, we can we can think of circumstances where that's a realistic, you know, scene. Yeah. yeah. Todd, you said you had a couple. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if this is a, a flaw or whatever. It's just something. I think Adam Sandler could have played Will, like in 1997, because yes. Damon even sounds like Sandler at times when he's like. When he's doing his sky rockets in flight, and he's like, "You really hypnotized me," you know, you know, like he's doing, he's doing, he's doing the Sandler thing. Like, I, I think it would have been amazing to watch him, especially in when he when he eventually blows up uh, at at Skyler and stuff. Like, I think it'd be a fascinating Sandler role. Was I the only one in that scene that was given the old champ kind? <laughs> I, I was like, it was too. missing it. It was missing it. <laughs> Uh, and I think Zach sort of mentioned it earlier, but uh, the 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 crew just like rolling around, you know, the neighborhood, watching baseball, checking out the guys at the basketball court was very really similar to Days and Confused. Like, and they're, they're rolling up and like, wait, who we got? Who we got? Like, I think they say that when they're like looking at the, like who's in the classroom in Days and Confused and then yelling at the at the, the Little League game, like uh, Ben and Cole Hauser totally stole that from Rick. Um I also think it's a flaw because Chucky reintroduces himself to Skylar or introduces himself. He says, it was good. To, it was nice to meet you when he told they met her earlier at the Harvard bar. And he told them about that stuff. too. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't make that. Uh, and one, one thing like the, the only like bad note in the whole movie in terms of performance is by Minnie driver. When she, 
she's like it's been four years and i've only just found you it was it totally to me she sounded like she was doing sofia coppola in godfather 3 it was such a bad line and it was delivered horribly and i was just like where did that come from because that character was so much better in every other line she said but that that line just was like wow she went to- totally flat there it was like they did a voiceover i can see that yeah i can see that valid as usual, I don't have really that much, but I did notice the the whole reintroducing himself to to Skyler. I noticed that too. I forgot to write it down, but I totally noticed it as I was watching it. <laughs> um, see, that's my problem is I I think of these things, but I never write them down, and then afterwards I go back and I'm like I don't remember. That's why all your questions are from the first twenty minutes of the movie? <laughs> hey, this one I did much better at then. True. <laughs> I, I mean, I was all over the place in this one. Do you think farting in bed is something to be ashamed of? Those wicked thoughts. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, if you I, wake I yourself so. up and the dog, I mean, I don't know if she should be ashamed. That's just that's just impressive. Uh, here's my conspiracy theory: Sean's wife, her father was Willem Dafoe from the Lighthouse. <laughs> I don't she, get it. She inherited the farts. Oh, because of the fart jokes. All of Got the farts. Got it. That's, that's I'm not sure the timeline adds up. It might. That was, a, that was, a weird that was full of tomfoolery <laughs> and ballyhoo, Terry. Yeah, it totally was. All right. LVP and MVP. Uh, I'll go first. My LVP is Danny Elfman because this is as, as like 90s of a score as possible. And it was, it was distracting. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's like the one thing that took me out of what was going on. Was I'm like that this this score does not belong in this movie. It needed something else, and the fact that it was Danny Elfman, I mean, that, that that's about what you can expect from him. MVP, I, I went with Chucky because if it wasn't for his monologue at the end of the the best part of my day, I don't think Will would have ever would have ever done anything different. And I think uh, it took it took that and. Um, especially right after, you know, Sean's talking about, do you have anyone that can challenge you? And he goes, oh yeah, I got Chucky. It's like, no, 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 no. Someone who actually, and then the next scene, Chucky tells him off and challenges him and, and makes him want to be better. And I, I, Chucky's the one that sets it all off and and he's the MVP. Zach, what do you got? All right. My MVP is Chucky because at the end of the movie, you got Will and Skyler leaving for California you got Sean saying yeah, he's what going to write a book. He's going to go places. He says he's doesn't he say he's going to go like China or something. Um, you know who knows where Jerry Lambo's going. Chucky stays right in Boston for the greatest twenty year run of Boston sports ever. He's got the Red Sox winning four titles, the Bruins, the Celtics should have been two titles, but hey, one's all right. And obviously the Patriots and all of those assholes, mass holes, leave Boston. And before the glory days of Boston sports, my my I, I applaud Chucky for for staying it out, working construction for the next fifty years, and enjoying many 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 great Boston sports moments. I have respect for that. Uh, Will's my, gonna wish he was sitting next to Chucky for all those games. Exactly. Think of all the games that he would have missed. And I gotta say, Sean Sean didn't care. I mean, he gave up his tickets to Game Six of the seventy five World Series, so he's obviously not a true sports fan. But imagine all the great moments that Chucky uh, was a part of and, and you know, everybody else. Uh, okay, my LVP of the movie, Harvey Weinstein, but not for the obvious reason. Uh, I mean, obvious, you know, sure, he's an asshole. 
uh, horrible piece of shit. But uh, I also think I would like this movie a little more if it didn't have all the Oscar love that it did. And it's kind of, again, you know, Miramax uh, ruined the Oscars in the late 90s. Uh, as much as I love Robin Williams, he was always going to win that Oscar. And he kind of ruined my boy Robert Forrester and Jackie Brown. And Burt Reynolds, RIP, in Boogie Nights. Not that I'm saying it wasn't deserved, but I'm saying it was a loaded category and it probably should have been a fair race. Anyway, Harvey Weinstein, and for all the Miramax shit, it's this movie I probably uh, like a little bit more if it's not a Miramax movie. All right, Todd, LVP, MVP. Uh, my LVP is Tom, played by John Mikan, because he's just a he's a worthless character. He just follows Gerald around. He doesn't oh, really do anything. Yes. Yeah, that guy. Yes. I looked it up. His only other movie role, uh, well, he's well. I mean, actually, no, I mean, he did end up writing a play. It looks like and he adapted into it for for the screen. Starring Tilda Swin, so he's worth something, just not Whoa. as an actor. Wait, I really wait, wanted wait. to mention him for stuff, but I didn't know what his name was. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, this is the only thing he ever acted in. It looks like, but yeah, I mean, he's just a terrible. He, I mean, it's a terrible character. I don't know why he's actually there. Um, MVP is uh, is Kevin Smith because he's the one that uh, pushed the screenplay through to give it to Harvey to get the movie made, or else it probably would have never gotten made. And the there are certain scenes, especially the Chucky's monologue at the construction site like that is a kevin smith scene that's a scene that could have been out of clerks that scene could have been out of chasing amy ben affleck totally wrote that scene with uh using the kevin smith influence and uh, i don't think it would have been the same if he wasn't involved in the movie yeah the nsa monologue has some real kevin smith qualities to it as well shout uh, out to kevin smith sometime this week clerks three's uh trailers dropping so 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 tom oh, tom wrote possible worlds with tilda swinton and the plot is a man lives in a in parallel worlds falling in love with the same woman while the police hunt down a serial killer who steals brains does that not sound like a donald kaufman movie i mean <laughs> based on a, his own play like that's that's just it's, and it's strange it's, it's free on freebie just just pointing it out come to the stable we have there, been add it to the list add it to the list <laughs> All right, well, let's wrap this up with our quote of the day. And we are starting with Zach. All right, my quote of the day comes from the oral history of uh, Goodwill Hunting, as reported by Boston Magazine. And it's Ben Affleck talking about how frustrated he was that no one would read the script. He said, we were so frustrated that Castle Rock wasn't reading the script, so we felt like we had to develop this test. We started writing in screen direction like Sean talks to Will and unloads his conscience. And then Will takes a moment and then gives Sean a soulful look and leans in and starts blowing him. And that is my quote of the day. That's that. That's the Adrian Lyne version with uh, James Spader and Monica Bellucci. Well, I, I mean, you know, the, the Sean and Will sex scene is what I'd like to see. That's the 4K Criterion edition of this movie is that scene. After a soulful look. <clears throat> so I, I've, uh, I've got a couple things for my quote of the day. Um, the first one, I was actually trying to find the quote and I couldn't find it anywhere, but, uh, it, but I'm going to give you the, the idea of it. And it was Ben Affleck when he was on inside the actor studio with James Lipton. And, uh, it, it was, this was like early to mid two thousands, Ben Affleck. And the best part about his episode is he's talking about Goodwill hunting. And then at the very end, it's revealed that Matt Damon snuck in and was in the crowd the entire time listening to what he was saying. And uh, but he's talking about Goodwill Hunting and he said they started it out and they were just like 
you know what, let, let's just design some characters that we know we can play that are, are grounded in who we are. And so, and so Ben's like, so I went out and I, and I, I crafted this character. I'm like, it, it, it's deep. It's nuanced. It's someone I, it, it's based on someone I know. And I know this character really well. And we come back and I present it to Matt and he goes, yeah, yeah. I'm going to play like a genius. <laughs> and it's just, it's just it's just an awesome moment it's it's so funny and the other one is actually from goodwill hunting and it's not really a quote but at one point sean calls lambo a mathematical dick and i and i i heard him say that i'm like how many times have my students in their heads been thinking that every time i teach them a math lesson like they're just thinking in their head that i'm just a mathematical dick i mean yeah so that, that, that's what i was thinking all right Todd, wrap us up. Uh, well, uh, I guess it'll come from the the bar scene. Um, uh, <laughs> Will Will's you know saying like you're gonna do this, you're gonna do this, and he's like, yeah, but you know, you will be serving my kids burgers uh, while we're on our way to a ski trip, and he says, maybe, but at least I won't be unoriginal, and uh, that describes this podcast. Absolutely, very original. Absolutely. Well done. Good way to end it from the birthday boy. So thank you guys so much for listening to the Almost Sideways podcast. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. You suspect. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.